welcome to Second Impressions, a Pride and Prejudice podcast bonus episode um, where we are discussing the BBC miniseries adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I think it Hooray. came out in 1995. We probably should have looked that up before yeah. we started. Well, let us over wrong. Regardless. I'm, I'm pretty confident it's 1995. It's from the mid-90s. Yes, yeah. the BBC miniseries, the famous one starring Colin Firth yes. and Jennifer Eel. L? L. Yeah. Sorry again. <laughs> I think it's L. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, like what we did with the, the movie, we are going to break this up into two parts. So this uh, episode will be discussing chapter, sorry, episodes one, two, and three. Right. And the next episode will discuss four, five, and six. I think we're going to take more of a summary type approach to the miniseries versus the movie where it was almost a scene by scene breakdown. Yeah. It's just, it's, we can't, I don't think we will be able to do justice if we break it down scene by scene for all six hours of this miniseries. So we're just going to do our best to sort of um, talk about what we found interesting um, in the miniseries and maybe compare it to the movie as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, it's the prerogative of a BBC miniseries adaptation of a book to hit basically faithfully all of the plot points. Yeah. Which in the first three episodes they do. Yeah. Of course they add some new things, so we'll Mm -hmm. talk about that. Yeah, for better or for worse, it is a very close um, page-by-page kind of um, interpretation of the book. Or at least, like, scene-by-scene. Scene scene. They, they try to include all the major scenes and every character that's in the book, where the movie, you know, is a two-hour time limit, so a lot of things got cut. Yeah. All right, let's get right into it. Mm-hmm. So, episode one, <laughs> I kind of want to talk about the just the opening credits a little bit, like, with the... You you open to like uh, a hand. We don't know whose hand it is, uh, working on um, needlepoint. Uh, Austin herself. <laughs> I guess so. One so in- sewing the narrative of this tale together. One could interpret her. It, it is Jane Austen's hand um, sewing the plot of this book. Um, I think it's just you know it's just I it's you know at first glance it's just sort of like oh this is just kind of found footage maybe like stock footage that they use that was like re- like reminiscent of regency era we have you know silks and and embroidery mm-hmm. and lace and pearls and bows and things like that um i think it's a pretty i don't know i guess it, i just thought it was a very for lack of a better word girly um openings opening credit or feminine maybe feminine. Uh-huh. but yeah there's i guess there's this feminine but then there's also like girly like it's very you know it's very um peachy pink and it's very um gentle the colors are very warm and gentle and um yeah i just thought it was very interesting because then <laughs> i feel like the 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 actual bbc series is anything but girly in fact there's more scenes where you get to sort of see the interiority of men and um yeah so i just thought it was an interesting decision to just sort of use um, a very, like, feminine, um, like, um, you know, depiction of, like, women's work, and then have the series itself be, like, much more, um, much more, like, real, I don't know, for lack of a better word, realistic, and, uh, um, you know, with, like, more, uh, time devoted towards, like, the men's activities. Well, we'll talk about this. I wouldn't necessarily say realistic. I mean, the characters are toned down a little bit. That's but true. there is more attention paid to 
what would the men be doing <laughs> while all this is happening? But before we get into that, well, how do you feel about do you do you like do you not like the opening credit sequence? Um, I don't know. I guess I just it's it, it's just a very I don't know. I guess maybe it's a classic like BBC adaptation opening credit where we're we're just thinking like what is indicative of Regency era like mm-hmm. and what is indicative of like women in Regency era and it's like it's it's fabrics it's it's silks it's um it's you know embroidery uh, it's embroidery it's um all of this stuff but again to your point it probably could just re- be a reflection of like like i think i think jane austen did call her in one of her letters she described pride and prejudice as like like six inches of ivory or something like that where she's just talking about her little book and how it's like she describes it as like as like six inches of ivory and i just thought that was an interesting like like just because it's women's work doesn't mean it's necessarily like um like uh just because it's women's work doesn't mean it's nece- necessarily like um not important rather like she she called it a little but not at, the, at the same time she called it like ivory which is something a little precious as well i don't know i just i just i just thought it was an interesting like having watched the opening credits three times over it just like started making me think about like why they decided to use this as like the you know it is sort of like the book cover of the series um anyway that's just some thoughts it's an interesting choice i feel like the obvious choice would just to be like some shots of like the landscapes and the properties and maybe like some interiors and stuff Mm. but uh i mean i think it's supposed to be reflective of the the artistry of the work maybe yeah. if it is a little too like soft-hued and like pink filtered maybe for my taste still <laughs> it is it's definitely like warmly filtered yeah but whatever it's it's fine it's I, fine i appreciate that it, it, it maybe it's like a nod to the artistry of the novel you know to mm-hmm. the the interlocking stories that's right yeah and this is this miniseries with the having the room of six hours. It's also kind of one of the prerogatives is to take it out of the Bennett household a little bit more, mm-hmm. take it over, you know, show more than what Elizabeth herself would have been witness to, or even Austin herself. Yeah, which is uh, that's one major difference from the movie already. The movie's prerogative was to refract everything through Elizabeth's POV, almost mm-hmm. like almost every scene. Your Elizabeth is there with mm-hmm. the the viewer. Yeah. Well, so that's a natural transition into how this miniseries opens up. And what is the very first image that we we are greeted with? Well, we see the boys in action. We see them on horseback and they're scoping out Netherfield. Yeah. They're having conversations about about Netherfield. I think Bingley says he likes it and Darcy says something disparaging about the community. Mm-hmm. And Bingley kind of just shrugs it off and he's like, I'm going to take it. It's an interesting choice. I mean, uh, I it don't... is sort of chronologically that is the the action that is the action that sets the entire story in motion is Bingley deciding to let Netherfield. Right, that's almost the inciting incident. <laughs> uh, I don't think we mentioned this, but Pride and Prejudice is a stranger comes to town narrative in that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's the, I guess the move or the miniseries rather. They were like, this is our starting point here. Here are Bingley and Darcy. They're gonna come into this community and like rile up, rile up the Bennett women, <laughs> the Bennett girls. Yeah, well, Mrs. Uh-huh. Bennett specifically. So that already, yeah, that's a major difference. We see Darcy and Bingley galloping on their horses, riding up to Netherfield Park. Yeah, it also might just be a display of like the type of um, production that we're dealing with. Like this is a sweeping, 
this is a sweeping scenery kind of level of production where we can see that the rolling hills and the beautiful estates like that's what we're working with here mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a romantic image you know i th i believe colin firth has top billing yeah Hill, right i think it is like colin firth on the left and Jennifer L on the right. So I think that uh, definitely one of the marketing points for the miniseries was like, here are these handsome men, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. Here are these handsome men galloping into town. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is even though this is like, this is a new scene detached from the Bennett family, I think we're supposed to believe that Elizabeth is watching them from like the top of a hill or something, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, because then the shot goes to Elizabeth like looking down on down this hill i think at darcy and bingley she sees them and she's like kind of has this kind of kind of like smirk like oh look like these two men have decided to uh let netherfield so it's interesting that she's the first one who uh, makes this discovery not uh mrs bennett right well speaking of that another small change is made which is how we discover um, or rather, how Mrs. Bennett relays the information of Netherfield being let. I mean, I guess it's an interesting choice just to, like, present to the viewer. Like, here, you are the viewer. You are watching Bingley and Darcy coming into town. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, having seen it first, I don't know. I feel like it. that should be, that is the natural job of Mrs. Bennett, who is constantly scoping about for eligible young men. But yeah, I <laughs> regardless, guess... she doesn't relay the information, or we don't see that. no. I guess it's supposed to be a testament to Elizabeth's, um, like, scrappiness, is that, like, she, we know that she enjoys walking, so just by walking alone, she is, a, she becomes privy to information that, like, the town gossip, um, doesn't quite know yet. I don't know. Okay, all right, well, what happens in the next scene? Well, so, we get the Netherfield Park is let at last scene, not mm -hmm. at, not at Longbourn, but outside, uh, church. They've just finished up mass, I guess. I don't really know. That's, I don't think it would be called that. But yeah, they just attended services. Yeah, uh -huh. they, yeah. after the services are over, they're like loitering kind of outside the church, waiting for all the daughters to gather around. And uh, Mrs. Bennett makes the announcement that uh, it has been let, that Netherfield has been let by a handsome young gentleman. Yeah, they're having this conversation walking home from church. Mm -hmm. This conversation that would have happened in private in the first chapter of the book is, you know, transported outside in front of all the daughters. <laughs> um, I guess just to give it a little bit of life, you know, yeah, a little uh, bit like of, a little um, outdoor setting. Yeah, give it some dynamic, just put some, yeah, dynamic um, shots. Another, that's a, it's an interesting choice to show him coming home from church. We don't see him in church, but anytime... Uh, an Austin adaptation places their characters in the vicinity of a church, you're already kind of changing Austin's vision a little <laughs> bit because Austin's vision excluded, like, depictions, literal depictions of worship, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's true. Of course, you know, I don't imagine the Bennets are a very pious family. <laughs> I feel like they would probably be going to church more just because it's what's expected, like, oh, to yeah. make the show. It would have uh, been, like, a social gathering, um, just, like, a expected social gathering to go to the church. Um, and okay. I think there is when we also find out, or Mrs. Bennett talks about him as someone from the north of England. Yes, she does make that clear, which they don't make clear in the movie, I don't believe. I can't remember. I can't recall them saying it, but yeah, I mean, if it's sort of like a if you know, you know kind of thing where like north of England indicates they're sort of like nouveau riche. Right. Especially, 
don't want to insult any listeners we might have in the the Manchester region or whatever, <laughs> but uh, to a Regency reader or someone who you know knows what the Regency uh, opinions would be of the time, that is shorthand for they got their money recently. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so- they. They're not one of the, uh, they did not come over in the Norman Conquest, you know? <laughs> right, they're not like a dynasty family. Uh-huh. They have recently made their money and they're looking to spend it right. <laughs> on uh, in search of a wife, apparently. I guess it's kind of funny that Mrs. Bennett is like, all right, now church is over, we can talk about real subjects, right? <laughs> well, my, I think it's sort of like a blink and you miss it moment. I feel like I say that a lot, but it is. It's just, it's very subtle. But right before they depart the church, I think she is with some like, locals maybe she's with like lady lucas and mrs phillips or something but right after she um right after she leaves this little this little hen's nest she walks over to mr bennett and tells him that netherfield has been let so i think it's just like the church is where she got this information is um like she got she got this like local gossip by going to church that's probably what the most useful thing church is for her is to like get the latest on the deeds of the single men in the area yeah oh well people are definitely meeting people at church yeah uh okay so we're having this conversation we're talking about the bingley's how netherfield park's been lit at last Mm -hmm. uh and this is a nice touch they work in the first line in dialogue through elizabeth elizabeth says it's a truth universally acknowledged that a man in possession of a fortune single man in possession of a good fortune must be in one of a wife right Right. yeah she says this sarcastically which is how you are supposed to read it in the book which people uh, like a lot of people don't realize um it's just that it's meant to be sarcastic i feel like anytime a uh a, a statement starts with it's a truth universally acknowledged it's either gonna be sarcastic or like a huge overstatement (laughs) right right yeah we Um, talked about this in in the podcast already but it's like how the hell do you have a truth universally acknowledged is like everyone reading is everyone repeating this this truth like uh, in unison like that it just makes no sense well then of course the next line is whether that man knows it or not you know (laughs) (laughs) so basically like (laughs) <laughs> it's avoiding the truth that <laughs> this universal truth yeah yeah but i like that it's mm-hmm. a it's a great line and it would be that is almost you know that is austin's like third person voice but it's almost like a something that elizabeth would say so i feel like it fits well in yeah voice. they i guess the the whoever wrote this like knew that it had it was it was an important enough, enough line that they're like we're gonna try to get this into the series because what's a what's a Pride and Prejudice series without the most iconic line in not just the not just the book but like one of the most iconic lines in English literature. Mm-hmm. And then um oh you had a note here about um, this is you know yeah. recurring through the series both uh, Jane and Elizabeth wear cross necklaces the only members of the family and the only so far I believe the only people we've seen wearing that jewelry a cross jewelry and they both wear it. it's very uh, pronounced in every scene they're in yep which is an interesting choice what do you why do you think they wear crosses grace i think it's just to indicate that they're like the only true christians in the entire series Uh uh-huh and i don't know this is reading into the choices of the series but at in regency time you know like 
Christianity, despite like that we might not feel this way in modern times anymore, represented like rationality to like Regency people, you know, mm. like in that specific time, because it's like about thinking with your head and not with like your lower passions, right? <laughs> yeah, not with your ego. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it, yeah, I guess it's just sort of a way to show like they are their behaviors are being led by like christian values and in this case christian values like you said was um rationality uh, or some kind of code right yeah yeah versus just like a mrs bennett who i mean her code is whatever she she does what she feels you yeah know? <laughs> that's which ethos. is that is no code to live by <laughs> <laughs> not to a regency person anyway right and then i think we go back to longbourn mm-hmm. and they're sitting around um the table and mrs bennett uh, makes this sort of expository statement about how, like, if only they've been able to have sons or something like that. So we know as an audience that they don't have sons and that mm. it's a bad thing. Yeah. And it doesn't even take, like, um, an expert to kind of put that together. Like, oh, of course, like, we know back then that women had no rights. And so I'm sure they needed sons in order to, like, like, like keep the house and keep the money in the family. I think similar to the book... The miniseries does well, and and then the next scene we see a Jane Elizabeth conversation where they talk about the entailment. Mm-hmm. Similar to the book, it's not, you know, this is they're not here to give you a lesson on what entailments are. I feel like it's kind of understood that you should have some idea, you should have some context of what's going on, right? Of what an right. entailment is. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that they have only daughters is already like you know something isn't. You know that that's going to be like a point of uh, a point of stress or a point of like a plot point rather. Right. Yeah. Every adaptation has to have some kind of like some couple of lines just to be like you know <laughs> we're not none of these daughters are going to get to keep the estate. That's what's at stake here. <laughs> I, I think in in the old movie, in the nineteen thirty nine movie, Mrs. Bennett's like five daughters without dowries. What am I going to do? That's so. That's <laughs> another way of saying it. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, yeah. It's something to just sort of tell you like what the core problem is right now that we only have if only we could have had sons but we have five daughters and we talked about this also but the reason they kept having daughters or like children is because they were trying to have a son right yeah and they probably just like pushed themselves out of the childbearing (laughs) age honestly Mm -hmm. we don't know the history of that that's just speculation i think after five daughters you're not going to push your luck anymore (laughs) And then uh, what happens? And then we see Mr. Bennett doing the account books. Yeah, so that's also another little interesting addition. Just a quick visual there to be like the Bennetts are not uh, in the best of finances. Right. Which is not in the book. We're never explicitly told that the Bennetts don't have enough money to support themselves. I think it's just kind of felt, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, the fact that like they have um, they have a small dowry is is sort of a hint at... Well, it's just that they probably would have been more wealthy if they had a son or if they didn't have five daughters to marry off um, and spread the spread the money off around. What it says in the book, and I think the scene implies that the Bennets of the miniseries are a little bit poorer maybe than the Bennets of the book. But mm. the Bennets of the book is like Mr. Bennett is smart enough to like finance for their current situation, mm. but he's not going to have anything to give them after he dies, basically. Yeah. Yeah, they live a they live a comfortable life. Like Mr. Bennett is not a you know he's not a Wickham. He's not like out there gambling and drinking away his money. Mm. But he's also not out there like making a lot of money, working too hard to support his daughters. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's very much just like he inherited this 
a state and just sort of coasted by on it. Uh, and it was he was kind of lucky enough that it's able to support five daughters. Um, what else? And then the, sh- the we shift to the Meriton Assembly. Yes. All right. So we're moving. We're Meriton moving. Assembly. Okay. And we also had the scene where uh, Mr. Bennett is like, guess what? I oh, went over right. and made the connection with Bingley <laughs> when, uh, yes. when no one knew I was doing this. Yes, and yes. Miss, Mrs. Bennett's like, oh, Mr. Bennett. <laughs> oh, that's another thing I love about um, this actress is that I think... I mean, they're both great in what they do, but this actress, I think, and maybe because they have the, she had the blessing of the director that, like, really way closer, like, hits the Mrs. Bennett of the book. She is just absolutely, like, hysterical, uh-huh. and 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 her moods change, like, on a whim, and yeah. she's completely driven by, well, not maybe completely, but definitely more driven by like her her id uh, and her ego than any than the mrs bennett of the movie this is yeah they're definitely in the movie the 2005 one we talked about in the last couple episodes they made a concentrated effort to soften the parents yeah to make them a little less ridiculous and like a little bit more lovable too i think mm-hmm. where here they're a little closer to what we see in the book mrs yeah. bennett is I think this actress is doing a really good job. I think Mrs. Bennett is a really hard character to play just because she is, like, pure, like, passion, you know? (laughs) Like you were saying, like, she is not governed by ration at all. Like, she is just, like, bouncing all over the place. Yeah. Like, she does not really give a thought before she speaks. And we sort of see that in the BBC's Mrs. Bennett. It's sort of like, I do, like, it's gotten to the point where I am already sort of getting annoyed by her, where, like... As soon as Mr. Bennett says something, there's like a there's like a beat, and then you're just like waiting for the like the shrill Mrs. Bennett to say something like "Oh, Mr. Bennett" or something uh, like that. You just yeah. know it's coming, and I think the actress does a really good job of like of like painting this this headache of a woman just like constantly on your on your ass about everything in life. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bennett. Also, much closer to the book, I captures like the dryness. Mm-hmm. How Mister Bennett would be like so super crusty and dry. I feel like it still doesn't quite get to the core of his misanthropy. But yeah. that's that's also hard. And that could be like, you know, it's it's a little distracting for the narrative you're trying to tell. Maybe to be like, here's this severely disappointed man, right? Right. There's there's still some like. I think there is still some like love between the Bennets here, which is, which is sacrilege because there's like no love between the Bennets in the book, but they like this Mister Bennett, like you said, he still, he still has that like glimmer of life in his eye behind his eyes when he says something sardonic, like he's doing it with like a a smile on his face because he wants to agitate his wife, but it's sort of like coming almost from a place of love, or like a place of like. Of not malice. Of not malice, <laughs> yeah. right. Which is the Mr. Bennett of the book. And, it, it, you know, it's so hard to convey all these, like, layers in purely a visual performance. That's why you almost need the novel, you know. Yeah. The Mr. Bennett of the book is maybe, you know, he's laugh- he looks like he's laughing and joking, but on the inside, that's, like, pure hate. That's <laughs> coming out, right? Right. It's a little too... Um, well, I said this about in the movie, too, but it's just... It's a little too risky to portray the Bennett's parents as wholly incompetent and completely devoid of any sense because then 
it would truly be a tragedy like for these five girls to be raised by these two completely incompetent parents like it's it almost like would like every scene with elizabeth and jane would then just be undercut with the idea that like these are like prisoners of their own house and they're it's a terrible house and they have to and it's like it's too it would be too tragic to be funny for like maybe like modern audiences okay all right well let's keep going here so matter meriton assembly that's next Mm -hmm. and how are we how does this uh, assembly open what's the first image that we're greeted with on this night we see the boys back to the boys yeah Yeah. they um set off in their carriage i think we see them leaving the carriage outside of the assembly right right, right. yeah they Uh arrive right that's right they're right the boys um, come in in their two two person carriage. Well, they're with Mrs. Hurst. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, back, yeah. Yes, everyone comes out of this and Miss Bingley, carriage. Yeah, yeah. Um, we immediately get a glimpse of the ladies, Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, as very you know feathery, very colorful, and very colorful. Their dresses are way more colorful than everyone yeah, around. Yeah, they have these crazy hats on. Yeah, uh, their hair ornaments are way higher than everyone else's. I feel like it adds to like their haughtiness and. To make their like just to make them like look taller, or at least Miss Bing to make Miss, Miss Bingley, Bingley especially. Yeah. She looks very tall. She's like uh-huh. a flamingo with this like crazy feather on her cap. And you had a good observation about how oh, yeah. the Bingley sisters look. Well, yeah, they come in and it's in, they are immediately like comical. Like they are wearing like neon orange and like 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 powder purple or something, and they just are so reminiscent of like the ugly stepsisters. Which makes Jane, I guess, Cinderella. Um, Jane is a Cinderella type figure. Yeah. Anyway. Not in her position, just more so in her like demeanor, right? In her demeanor, uh, yeah. Right. And yeah, and she is sort of at the mercy of these two stepsisters. Not, not she's not. They're not ugly. They just are the trope of the ugly stepsisters. Right. Um. And I'm, yeah, you know, I'm sure the hair and makeup did a really <laughs> did a really good job of like making them look as foolish as possible. Well, I think that comes part of it is like the grotesquerie of the makeup <laughs> and like the crazy the crazy outfits and hair. And yeah, hats and yeah. Stuff. The uh, like super intricate curls and braids and the like just the the highest fashion. You know, the highest fashion bordering bordering on like ludicrous um like dresses that they're wearing right which is uh you know part of the pleasure of watching these visual adaptations which is austin is not very interested in giving long descriptions of clothes you Mm. know of what people were wearing (laughs) so you get to see like this is what the bingley sisters would have wore and also what does that say like miss bingley She's got to know she's going to be, like, so much flash, like, dressed so much flashier than anyone else at this, like, country ball, right? Oh, yeah. Well, she's from, you know, Grosvenor Square, the uh-huh. trendiest, hottest spot in London. So she's going to have her finger on the pulse of the latest trends. Um, Why do you think we see them arrive in the carriage? Why do you think we get this exterior shot? And it's not the Bennets that we see arrive. It's Darcy and Bingley and well, the sisters. Well, I think it's to, it's to, I think it's to create tension. It's like, like you said, it's like, um, new guy comes to town. It's this uh-huh. carriage full of new people coming into town who we know are going to be like, they're going to think they're better than everyone else. And how, what, how, how's, what, what kind of effect that's going to have on like the community and the Bennets and Elizabeth. And, um, it's just like the anticipation of like, oh, we know that the, we know that the Bingleys and Darcy have arrived, but the Bennets don't know that yet. And we're just like waiting to see like what's going to happen when they, they finally meet. Uh-huh. Or we, you know, the Bennets know someone's there, but they don't know who really. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. But like we know like to the second, to the exact time of the evening when they have arrived and like when things are going to like change forever 
Um, what else? Okay. Oh, another thing I wanted to say about Caroline uh-huh, is that she, I think, is a much more um, um, faithful adaptation of the Caroline in the book because she is never really seen as a rival to Elizabeth. Like, at most, all she does is, like, poison Darcy's ears with, like, insecurities. But, like, uh-huh. she's never really seen as, like, an actual rival to Elizabeth. And in the series, in this series, we see that. She's, like, she's not very pretty, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry. She's not very pretty. Um, She's um not very, like, she's not even very, like, um charming person. Uh-huh. Well, she wouldn't fit in... Okay, well, she wouldn't fit into Darcy's tastes right. from what we know about Darcy having read the book a, a million times, which <laughs> is that, and just based off Pemberley, you know, he likes genuine and, like, earnest. He doesn't like falsity. He yeah. doesn't like artifice, mm-hmm. which I think why he likes Bingley, because Bingley is such a genuine person. He, like, <laughs> can't, even, he can't even help it. He's just so genuine. Right, right. And then, like, it's... I guess he puts up with Miss Bingley because he likes Bingley so much. But I think, I don't know, that's why Miss Bingley is never a serious, like, rival for Elizabeth. Yeah, exactly. And the book does a good job of, or sorry, the the series does a good job of conveying that. She Uh, is immediately from the get-go, you know she's she's vapid, she's shallow, she um, is disingenuous. Yeah, Um, yeah, we see that in the book in the way she behaves and what she says. Like, oh, what even lines, (laughs) right? In your letters. And in the movie, you just get, like, Right away, the visual of, look how she's dressed, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or in the series, you In mean. the series, I'm right. sorry, yeah. Which is a little different from the movie because we see, like, this, you know, beautiful actress playing um, Caroline Bingley, and she is supposed to be seen as, like, a potential rival. Which, like, I get it. I mean, I understand why they did that because they just wanted to put a beautiful lady next to Elizabeth and have Darcy, and have the audience be like, Darcy is still choosing Elizabeth over this beautiful lady. But, like... We all know that, like, there's no chance in hell that Caroline Bingley was going to ever get Darcy. But a little difference here about this Meriton Assembly versus the movie we watched is it's a much smaller, like, Mm. shabbier affair, I feel like. Like, Mm. this Meriton Assembly is just in, like, a couple of rooms, (laughs) it looks like. It doesn't, it is not quite such a big gathering. Right. It's, well, I wouldn't call it shabbier necessarily because I feel like, I feel like in the movie it's almost like this giant, like renovated barn or something but like it's a rollicking affair in the movie yeah Yeah. whereas here it's like it's more quiet it's like the rooms are smaller but they are still stately i think the rooms are still like they're still nice rooms yeah painted like some kind of seafoam right you don't really see like you know the sweat dripping down people's faces like you did in the movie it's it's a little more refined all right yes you're right but they're smaller rooms and i feel like there's fewer people there yeah that might have just been like a budgetary, <laughs> budgetary uh, uh, issue yeah hey. um okay okay yeah so we're in the ball mrs bennett you know basically gives us the lowdown she gives us the baseball card stats on darcy <laughs> and bingley how much money they make yeah and then there's a really nice scene that they created for the miniseries here which is mrs bennett just starts you know she's talking to bingley and then she just starts talking to Darcy without an introduction. Yeah. Darcy, who's, like, standing, like, maybe a foot behind Mr. Bingley. Lurching in the background. Clearly uh, not interested in being introduced. But then, yeah, Mrs. Bennet commits the faux pas of just, like, straight talking to Mr. Darcy. But, it, it, you know, to her, in her in her kind of defense, like, Bingley should have done the thing, the right thing, which is to introduce Miss 
Mrs. Bennet to Darcy, but Mr. Bingley kind of forgot to do that. It's a, it's actually a really nice character moment that says a lot about the characters and, you know, just a short exchange, which is that Bingley is here having a good time. Like, he has forgotten about decorum a little mm-hmm. bit. He's here with all these pretty girls, Well, right? you know, maybe that's uh, a testament to his new money is that he still hasn't quite, n- quite nailed down the, like, the proper, you know... The proper like thing to do, which uh, is to like you know introduce people to your introduce your friend to people that they haven't met yet. Yeah. Well, then on the flip side, Darcy is like stuck in. He is imprisoned by his old money sensibilities, <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel like I don't think I think it's a big faux pas when Mrs. Bennet does it to Darcy. It probably wouldn't have been quite so faux, quite so much of one if she had just started talking to anyone else at the assembly without an introduction. Right. But the fact that it is the most the richest and most powerful man in the whole room is uh, a big no-no. Uh-huh. A, and it, yeah, a big oh, I'm sorry. Mark, a, just a big mark against her. It is true. We know from the book that if you if you want to speak to Darcy, he's going to want to be introduced. Like, he's going to want a formal introduction first. Yeah. You can't just come up and ta- start talking to Darcy. Nope. Mm-mm. And uh, then what happens? Then we get the sliding. Well, we see, you know, Bingley dances with Jane. Uh, and um, then Sir Lucas comes to the rescue, quote unquote. And um, wait, was it Sir, Sir Lucas? Sir, Sir William. Sir William. Um, wait. Wait, I'm trying to think how. So, yeah, Elizabeth is sitting. And then, oh, then Bingley comes up to Darcy and right. says the thing Yeah, about, yeah, I can't have you standing around in this stupid manner, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And here, it's pretty, um... It's pretty obvious that Mr. Darcy knows Elizabeth can hear him. And in, in his famous slight, right? Yeah, in his yeah. famous slight uh-huh. about how she's barely tolerable or something, to that extent. And, um... Yeah, if we remember in the movie, like, Elizabeth and Charlotte are hiding under some bleachers or something, <laughs> and they overhear him. Yeah, very high school. We're here more, you know, more closer to the case of the book is... They're all in this pretty confined space, and Darcy just, like, says this insulting thing, like, too loudly, right? Very loudly. Uh, Definitely within earshot, yeah. And he says more of what Darcy says in the book, which is just that, like, he doesn't want to, what is it, entertain her. He's not going to, like, credit uh, women who have been turned down by other men, Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Which is more, that's an important line for Darcy, because it's more about how... He is, like, obsessed with, like, status in a way that is unhealthy, right? Right. He doesn't want anyone's sloppy seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, interesting, so in the movie, this is all very heavily refracted through Elizabeth's opinion. Right. Here we're seeing this scene more from Darcy's opinion, uh, point of view, rather. Yeah. He says this, and then he looks at Elizabeth, and Elizabeth crosses the room to start talking to Charlotte, I believe. Yeah. And they both start laughing. Right. So that's the represent represents how Elizabeth has turned this into a joke already. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Darcy, the way that he is like staring at her, like crossing the room after this slight, is almost like me. I almost think like the miniseries wants us to from that moment on think that he is starting to look at her in a different way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, like, because I'm thinking, you know, in my head, I'm thinking this is not the first time Darcy has slighted a woman and, like, within earshot of her told told someone that he w- doesn't want to dance with her. And I'm sure, like, you know, in, in all the women that he has um, been um, around, it's like they take it as a huge insult and they're, like, probably, like, really mopey and really take it to heart that he won't dance with them. But the difference, the way that Elizabeth is, you know, not like other girls is that she immediately finds it hilarious and... Yeah, like, walks in his path, crosses his path uh, to get to Charlotte, and very obviously 
relays to her what happened and they both like giggle start laughing about it i think that's <laughs> it's serving the same purpose as what happened in the movie which is elizabeth repeats those words back to darcy right it's yeah. like both it's her showing like i'm not affected by this right right it's like yeah yeah it, it shows like hey you're the one who actually behaved very ungentlemanly uh, and it's not me who has it's not my it's not my problem it's your problem <laughs> which you know Darcy loves being told that he's wrong. I think in the movie, we're supposed to believe that Elizabeth takes it a little bit more to heart than here, yeah, right? right, yeah. Because the movie is just so freaking earnest, you know? Down down to, like, even changing Elizabeth's characteristics a bit. But, yeah, in, in this movie, in the, sorry, in the series, she, I don't know, I feel like there maybe is a glimmer of hurt, and then she kind of just brushes it aside, uh -huh. which is also accurate in the book, because she's like, ah, she's like, in the book, she's like, ouch, this sucks. And then she goes to tell her friend yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a, an interesting scene where we, uh, a little snippet of seeing, like, the servants waiting outside. Mm. Which oh, is, yeah. you know, it's one of the choices this movie makes, which is we're going to show you the outside. We're going to show you a little bit of the grittiness of the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like... Yeah, what did you think about that? I think it is, like, I get the choice, and it's interesting in a lot of ways, but I also feel like Austin doesn't need that infusion of, like, look at these servants, That's that equals realism, you know? That's, because that's, I, it's just, like, a cheap way to be, like, this is realism now, look at these poor people, right? Right, it kind of, yeah, by showing, like, a shot of, like, how the other half lives, you know, the poorer half, out, waiting outside with their carriages and dogs, getting drunk, it's sort of like implying that the life inside this assembly is this like fantastical, like unrealistic fantasy mm -hmm. and that the quote unquote real life is happening outside where it's like people are poor and just like, you know, trying to make money. I find that a little, I don't know. It's fine. Like, I think my, I have a bigger problem with how other media does it and it is spilled over to how I feel about this movie. I feel like it's a little like of a little bit of a cheap shorthand to be like, look, realism, right? Like, look at the drunk servants. <laughs> I feel like like that's just not the scope that this story wants to tell. And that's why Austin didn't include that in mm. the book. Right. Uh -huh. You don't need to like, yeah, it's one of those things where like, you don't need to show poor people being poor in order to critic make a crit make a criticism about poverty. Mm. Like, the well, if Austin wanted to write a book about servants, she would have, you know? Yeah. And it would have been interesting, and they would have been full-fledged characters, a la, like, Loving by Henry Green, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's not the story that she wanted to tell. Right. I mean, I guess maybe to 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 give the series the benefit of the doubt, maybe they're just trying to do some world-building. Like, hey, you know, like, some here's some more layers to add to this universe. Yeah, okay, and then on the flip side, it is, it's, I I like it in that way. And it's sort of like Austin fan service almost being like, didn't you ever wonder what was happening outside of the <laughs> Meriton Assembly, right? Yeah, I'm sure it's like, well, what happened to Jane's horse, you know? Uh, I'm sure, like, I'm sure the Netherfield servants took the horse and put it in the barn and while Jane was sick and fed the horse and things like that. So, yeah, it is sort of like a little bit of fan service. Like, here, here's the answer to your question of like, what, what, what were people doing while the rich were partying they were getting drunk uh, and falling into the horse the ranch <laughs> the horses the horse's water the trough, the trough uh, yeah i almost said ranch water <laughs> so <laughs> in summation it's a choice that they made that, <laughs> and i feel different ways about it yeah well speaking of you know debauched people we also get plenty of instances of lydia going 
Lord, I'm blank. <laughs> she says it in the Netherfield assembly. She goes, sorry, not Netherfield. That comes later. In Meriton. Uh -huh. She goes like, Lord, I'm tired. Or Lord, I'm hungry or something. Or Lord, I'm bored. Whatever. She's... Yeah. They really caught on to that in the series, which I like. Yeah. And also, we talked about that in the book. That would have, that's, that is definitely an oath. That is, it's, yeah. it would be, you know, you it might come as off well harder have, at that time than it does now. Yeah, uh, you might as well have just, like, cursed in front of the queen or something like that, at, if you, if you said lord. Swounds. Swounds. <laughs> there's another, there's another uh, oath, means by his wounds, totally off <laughs> topic. <laughs> Okay, all right, so and then the, do we have anything else to say about the Meritan Assembly before we move on? Um, just, uh, you know, I think, I think that's about it. Because um, then it cuts to, well, it cuts to then they arrive home, the Bennets and the daughter, or sorry, Mrs. Bennett and the daughters, they arrive home. Of course, Mr. Bennett didn't come with them, as in is, the book, yeah. As in the book, yeah. In the, in the movie, he does go to the, with them, but in the book... Um, oh, I guess that's why they had to have Sir Lewis, sorry, Sir Lewis, Sir William make the introductions because Mr. Bennett is not there. Mm. Um, but yeah, so they go home and there's the the scene about, there's that really funny scene where Mrs. Bennett is going on and on and on about every inane detail uh -huh. and um, Mr. Bennett and how, how many dances that Mr. Bingley danced with with Jane and with Charlotte and then with Jane again or something. And then Mr. Bennis is like, oh, if he, if he had mercy, if he, if he took mercy on me, he would have sprained his ankle or something like that. Right. Cause he's like, I don't want to hear anymore. About yeah. This dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I appreciated that they included that. And then we get another new scene um at the at another field another field we get to see like the the bingley's and darcy's reaction to everything that just went down mm -hmm. um and there's a very interesting thing that happens here which i guess i appreciate because i like this line so much from the book we in the book carolyn bingley when relating to darcy about how much like at, when darcy is fully in love with elizabeth and carolyn bingley's like remember remember how much you used to dislike her you said that i'd sooner call her a beauty than i'd call her mother a witch right <laughs> yeah and we we don't see darcy say that uh -huh. so we can only assume that he must have said it to caroline like when they were just like hanging out at netherfield without the bennett without elizabeth present and so in this movie, they give it to him, give it to Darcy himself. In this new, in this scene that happens where they all review the Netherfield ball, yeah. he he says that line, which I guess is actually maybe it's an indication that he is not quite interested in Elizabeth yet, or he's not quite ready to admit it yet. Right, he's definitely not. No, I think I mean still very gradual. It's sort of like now he has at least he has realized that she's not gonna like be upset that he slighted her. I think he's intrigued but Darcy like could never like be interested in someone related to Mrs. Bennett right mm -mm. and I think that's what that line is indicative of it's like <laughs> it's it's not it's really mostly not Elizabeth's fault it, it a lot of it has to do with her mother like his yeah. like distaste for Elizabeth at first comes a lot from Mrs. Bennett right yeah like when she when Caroline makes the comment about Elizabeth he immediately goes to the mother uh -huh. so it's not really about Elizabeth it's just about the mother of course, Mr. Hurst has been reinstated. Oh, and well, Mrs. And, Mr. and Mrs. Hurst are completely taken out of the movie, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I understand if you're trying to like move things along. But they're in the miniseries, Mr. and Mrs. Hurst. Mr. Right. Hurst is sleeping at any occasion that he's not involved in, which is every <laughs> occasion. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then he like you know jolts awake, like I don't know, snores himself awake, 
by being like, oh yeah, that party was a waste of time or something like that. And it's like, well, thanks for the input, guy who's been sleeping all day. Uh, <laughs> all right. right. And then So uh, moving forward, forward uh, we see um where are they at? They're at the I think they're at the um I think we now. then then let's skip ahead to the Lucas. Yeah, uh, Lucas Lodge. Lodge yeah, little Lucas Lodge yeah, yeah. group hang. Yeah, yeah. And the soldiers are there. Soldiers are there unannounced, mm-hmm. unlike in the movie. They're just like, Oh, the soldiers are in town. We don't even necessarily like I know, I guess because later they say like, Oh, we're here for the winter. Yeah, there's a little introduction. So we're introduced right up front to uh Forrester's. Yeah, the Colonel Forrester and Mrs. Forrester. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of a larger uh, trend, which is Lydia's kind of pushed more to the forefront of this series. Yeah. Uh, she's not necessarily given more lines than in the book, but I feel like she visually takes up a lot more space. Definitely. We always, in every scene, she's going to be like running amok in the background at least or something. Uh-huh. Especially with soldiers around. Yeah. And I think this introduction of the Forrester's is also... Just, like, preparing us for the later Lydia story. Right. Uh-huh. And this is kind of the introduction of the soldiers. Mm-hmm. We don't get the the grand parade into town like the movie, mm-hmm. but Colonel Forrester's like, we'll be here for the winter, and we're, we're hoping it'll be peaceful, right? <laughs> and, uh... Elizabeth has a funny line about, like, oh, like, are you gonna be like tampering down the locals with your military men or something like that yeah yeah that's and in response to that he says well we're hoping it'll be in the peace times right <laughs> and he's basically like my officers need some entertainment oh, great uh-huh. lovely and mrs forrester is much younger than colonel forrester so yeah. it seems mrs forrester yeah. is basically lydia's age and so that's does not bode well <laughs> um and um and then, of course, here's when Sir William, like, pushes Darcy and Elizabeth together to dance, right? Yeah. This Sir William, a little bit more polished than how I, I imagined him. I imagined him to be, like, a, like, just as brash as, like, Mrs. Phillips, you know, just, like, he, he is, like, o- he's truly a knight only in name, and, like, nothing else about him indicates any kind of, like, any kind of elevation in his in his standing, other than just in name only. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an interesting, a nice line created here, which is, uh, I believe it's Miss Bingley says, like, he must, Sir William must have kept a great shop before his elevation to the knighthood, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Which of, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, and then she, like, and Mrs. Hurst break out into giggles because that's just the most hilarious thing is to think that he would be a storekeeper. Uh, yeah, well, that's, of course, it's very, uh, it's very low-born to be in trade in the first place, mm-hmm. let alone to own, like, a store. Yeah. Which I believe that is Sir William's backstory. Right. right. He was in trade mm-hmm. uh, before he got elevated to the knighthood. Right, and then after he got elevated, he was like, I'm gonna go buy a house and yeah, call I mean, it Lucas, Lucas Lodge. Lodge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I feel like is pretty crass, right? Just, I'm gonna name it after myself. I mean, yeah. A like, Lodge, too. Right, call uh, it Trump Tower, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, like, to your point, Sir William is much more refined than I would have imagined. I imagined, like, a like a Patton Oswalt, Danny DeVito type, just, like, truly, just, like, the most, you know uninhibited kind of just like say what's on your mind like without any any sense of decorum and it seems like sir william here he's a little quieter i think he's more of a genial presence yeah like almost a little paternal where in the book he's a little bit more ridiculous he's a little crasser i think he's also a little bit more lecherous yeah. in the book, just based on like some <laughs> of the things he says like a drunk uncle like pushing these like young people together mm-hmm. and there's the the line is retained here where darcy's 
Sir William's like, I find, you know, uh, dance is like a practice among all the higher, like everyone of higher refinement. Yeah. And Darcy's like, every savage can dance, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and then um, we see like, and then there's just some more, you know, I think like Lydia shouts at Mary to like play something livelier because she right. wants to dance. Right, that's a new scene. Uh-huh. And then... Um, and then I think we see Jane and Bingley still talking in a, right. off in a corner, and then Charlotte says the the very Charlotte thing, which is just that like Jane should make her intentions more known, mm-hmm. um, and not just not be so shy. Charlotte's also bigger presence here than in the movie we watched. Yeah, and then we see like Darcy just lurching and looming as usual. Yeah, well, okay, this is a as good as time as any to ask, what do you think about the Colin Firth, Darcy? We will continue to talk about this throughout the rest of mm. these episodes. Well, I'll say this, which is that he doesn't... Uh, in the first three episodes, this might be a little bit of a getting ahead, but in the first three episodes, we don't really see him very often. We see him in, like... I want to say, like, at most, we see five scenes with him in all three in these first three episodes. And I think it, it's a good way to um, inform Elizabeth's characteristic is that she is very quick to judge. Is like, we barely get to see him, and Elizabeth already in her mind is forming this, like, very resolute opinion about him at the, you know, at the, at the uh, insistence of Wickham. Like, yeah. Wickham's not doing any, Wickham's not doing with Darcy any favors either, but, like, I think he's good at lurking and looming, which is all Darcy's doing and sulking for, like, these first, in these early scenes, right? Right, yeah. Uh Whereas, yeah. Yeah, whereas, like, we don't really get to see much of how Darcy behaves in the movie. We just know that he's sort of, like, quiet and and doesn't really talk a lot. But, yeah, in here we see, like, he truly is just the most antisocial person. This is definitely a crusty darcy <laughs> yeah uh-huh. not and yeah not not because of um some like we don't even really see colin first darcy be like shy which i feel like he actually is in the book he's just he just it seems to like opt to uh not talk to people some of that shyness comes in in the third episode but mm. yeah i don't think there's definitely he this is not a soft darcy i think he if he is shy then he is like hiding it in like contempt right this sort of contemptuous attitude he's yeah taking. well maybe this is like maybe as we watch the later s- episodes we'll see like maybe this was a conscious choice to like make him very unavailable and make his appearances very brief and mm-hmm. when do- he does appear to make him look very surly and like he would rather be anywhere else in the world than in this room right now i think my conception of darcy would be like halfway between colin firth's and Matthew McFadden's. Okay, yeah. Like, he's gotta be, he's gotta be crusty, because she's gotta <laughs> hate him at the beginning, Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. He's and gotta he, be really haughty. He's gotta be distant and haughty, yeah. But I feel like there should be, like, like a softness about it. There should be some kind of, like, like, he, there's some part of him that kind of wishes that he could be, like, more like Bingley, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he's just, like, so kind of trapped by himself and his own circumstances. Mm-hmm. By his pride yeah it's almost like yeah the darcy in the book is is strangely enough like more dynamic than colin firth's darcy but anyway, okay all right <laughs> continuing, continuing on, we will talk about um, that more darcy uh, he just like he is lurking in lumen but he's also catching elizabeth and just like noticing her and you know he's watching her he is definitely giving her giving her the look here yeah uh, 
And then we cut to Longbourn, um, the family's eating breakfast, and then Jane gets a letter from the Bingleys, and Mrs. Bennet immediately thinks it's Mr. Bingley, and accuses Jane of being a sly thing for keeping that hidden. <laughs> Did she say that I think she now, says or does she say it when she thinks the Collins letter is from Bingley? Oh, yeah, you're right. I take it back. Yes, I think, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. I just really enjoyed Mrs. Bennet calling Jane of all people a sly thing. And her daughter, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, this is not that scene. But nevertheless, uh, Jane a gets a letter line, uh... from Caroline Bingley. And then there's the scene where Mrs. Bennett's like, no, you're not going to take the carriage. You're going to take the horse. I like, I think that was one of the things that the movie fell a little flat on. And I think that comes from their softening of Mrs. Bennett's character is it didn't <laughs> really emphasize, like it just felt a little out of place for her that that movie's Mr. Ben, Mrs. Bennett to be pushing Jane out on the horse so she can get a cold, right? I, I believed it. I just felt like this, it played a little bit more natural to her character in this scene. Okay. I think it was more, I got more of a sense of, I'm Mrs. Bennett. I've just come up with this ingenious plan, and I'm very satisfied with myself, right? Yeah, I guess so. I, I do appreciate the the little scene in the movie where um, it it goes from like Mrs. Bennett announcing they're gonna go on horseback. I think there's maybe one or so, more one or two scenes in between, but then it cuts to like a servant opening up the door at Netherfield, and Jane is standing there like sopping wet, and she sneezes, and you're mm. like, oh, she's sick. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Well, regardless, so she goes over to Netherfield on horseback to mm -hmm. dine with the Bingley sisters. Yes. And then the Bingley, the sisters, they really give her this, the Spanish Inquisition of like her family and her connections. And Jane reveals that she has an uncle in town who it lives in Cheapside. Horror of all horrors. Yeah, which uh -huh. sent a chill down the sisters' spines, I'm sure. And then. Um, I think they talk about the Phillips too. Yeah, they're like, a oh, bit so about your uncle's Phillips. a lawyer, right? right. <laughs> Another shocking <laughs> horror of all horrors. <laughs> and I think maybe Jane coughs a little bit, just uh -huh. a little, just a little hint that she is unwell. And then we get a, go back to Longbourn. They get a letter saying that Jane is sick, and Elizabeth's like, "I need to go to Netherfield." <laughs> My famous three mile walk. Uh -huh. Yeah, famous three mile walk. Mr. Bennett gets the line about how if Jane dies, at least Mrs. Bennett will be happy knowing it was in pursuit of Mr. Bingley. Uh, Elizabeth walks. She is walking, walking, walking. Jumping over stiles, landing in puddles of mud, shrugging her shoulders. <laughs> the sun her, in her hair. Her hem really is quite dirty. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually like gross. I'd be uh, like, girl, pick up your skirts. <laughs> it does not hurt to pick up your skirts and not, you know, jump into like an actual like puddle you know you don't need to jump into like a mud puddle which she does but whatever well she's just so concerned about jane it's like gotta get there quickly <laughs> yeah and then a little different a little here. different uh -huh. she turns a corner she sees netherfield in the distance and when she turns a corner to go on to netherfield who does she run into but mr darcy mr. darcy outside yes not she's not like presented into the room with darcy and the bingleys to have them all <laughs> be shocked by her appearance yeah see she I think this is a little bit of a premonition of how they run into each other at Pemberley. Mm, you're right. It gives some foresight. Uh -huh. It also shows, like, maybe these are two, like, you know, there's a little bit, you know, kind of, like, uh, they have something in common, which is that, like, Darcy enjoys walking outside. Elizabeth uh -huh. enjoys walking. There's some commonality there, like, despite their differences, despite how much she abhors him, they still have this, like, little things in common. And this is, uh, I feel like this moment in the book when he sees her after the walk is kind of when he, like, 
starts thinking about her in a very different way. I think maybe he does comment on her fine dark eyes before this, right? Mm, I think so. I can't quite remember. I can't when quite he remember. Makes yeah. the comment, but yeah, yeah. Um, Darcy brings her to see her sister, mm-hmm. um, and then the ladies. The Bingley sisters discuss her hem and how she was six inches deep in mud. Right. Her famous hem. Yeah. hem. <laughs> and then Elizabeth walks in and uh, then they then they just they eat, I guess. Yeah, we get another scene here at some point where we go watch the the men hunt. We <laughs> go watch them hunting about the property. Yeah, we which, see some hounds, we see some pheasants. Yes, it is true landed uh, gentlemen did spend a lot of time hunting. A lot of time hunting, and yeah. Bingley and Darcy definitely would have. There's also a scene here where D- G- uh, Elizabeth walks in on Darcy playing billiards. I feel like... Uh, it's like to your to what you're saying. Like they just keep meeting and meeting each other. They can't help it. Right. Is this also? Is it during the sequence of the sequence where Jane and Elizabeth are both there that we get Darcy bathing, and him yeah, watching Elizabeth point, from the window? Yeah, because Elizabeth is playing with this big dog. I guess it's like the Bingleys have this big dog and yeah, um, a hunting dog. A hunting dog. Uh-huh. I think it's. I don't know. That looks like a show dog to me. Like a like a really tall like like. I don't fucking know Doberman or something not Doberman but like a really really big like like speckled dog like not a hunting dog and she's like playing fetch with it or something Mm -hmm. and yeah he is in this copper tub being bathed by a servant a a man servant well it would be a male servant I'm just saying (laughs) very hot and then he wrote he unfortunately is covered up by a robe (laughs) no butts on BBC (laughs) he walks over to the window and he espies Elizabeth which is incredibly erotically charged right yeah, out of the bath right like out dripping of the bath. basically naked yeah. watching her from the window mm-hmm. uh this the hunting the billiards I feel like these are you know these are all creations of the miniseries they were like we have Colin Firth like I feel like this is supposed to be like I don't know it's all sexual like the hunting the billiards the bathing the bathing especially yeah I guess it's like supposed to be like hot and steamy yeah uh, even the meeting in the woods not the woods but like accidentally meeting when she's walking over it's all it's all building up to something I think it's all maybe like visual shorthand of like he's a virile man and he's like <laughs> feeling sexual feelings right yeah definitely you also made the good point last night that Colin Firth is definitely the member of the cast that is most objectified in this movie right right, right. Uh, yeah like he is the only one we will soon I mean I'm, whatever it's a 20 plus year old series if you haven't seen it already like that's on you but like spoiler alert we're gonna see like another another bathing scene with mm-hmm. him and so maybe this is just like a little a little a little precursor a little taste of what's to come but yeah he is the one who is actually being the most objectified um just being the only one who's ever shirtless ever like um naked on screen i think uh i might have even read that the director said it was a conscious effort to make this series like more sexy more sexualized which doesn't mean like sex scenes that would be uh, I would not be happy watching an honest an adaptation with a sex scene, honestly. I mm-hmm. feel like that would be incredibly crass. Yeah. But so that I feel like that's how it's infused into this series is these sort of visual shorthands and especially anything, any like silent scene with Darcy like brooding while doing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show like you don't need a sex scene to make a, to make a show sexy. Like it does not involve it does not necessarily even involve like being shirtless. It's mm. just yeah. In fact, with the fact that the the shirtless scene 
with Colin Firth bathing, I thought was almost like really out of nowhere and also like almost extra extra extraneous i didn't need to see that i like the billiard scene more i feel like it also is kind of sexy like elizabeth is walking around the house she hears these like balls clacking (laughs) and then she walks into this like darkened room where he's like playing billiards and then yeah Yeah. what happens at when she leaves is that he like you know he hits a ball into the pocket Uh as a sign of his sexual frustration (laughs) (laughs) um and then uh oh and then we get to the famous scene where in the sitting room mm-hmm. where um the sisters and i think mr hurst are playing cards right and uh, mr bingley and they're all playing cards and mm-hmm. mr darcy is at his writing desk and right. elizabeth is reading yeah yeah and miss hurst has the line about oh is georgiana almost as tall as me miss bingley right sorry miss miss bingley yeah uh-huh. and then um they do know. their walks their rounds around the room yeah uh-huh. the, the yeah and then darcy well just to go back on that darcy goes actually when he doesn't say actually but he kind of says actually she's almost as tall as elizabeth or she's a little bit taller than miss bennett mm. Mm. so it's just like he doesn't give a fuck about you sorry uh, part of my language <laughs> but he clearly does not care about caroline um they also every adaptation shortens the the length of time that jane and elizabeth are there they're actually at netherfield for a long time mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff happens but uh so that's basically all reduced down to the scene in the drawing room where they're hanging out yeah we get we lose the whole bingley reliance on friends conversation that almost never appears i feel like I mean, we, I guess it's not necessary. You can, in other ways, demonstrate that Bingley is just very easily swayed by uh-huh. his friends without having to have that whole, uh, have that whole like um, hypothetical story play out. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's just like sort of felt. It's also kind of it's a challenging chapter, challenging passages in the book. Mm. It might be hard to like succinctly adapt to dialogue. I do like it. Just because it's fun to see Elizabeth and Darcy arguing over Bingley while he has, like, no part in this conversation, basically. Yeah, he's an unwilling participant uh, in this uh, in this head-to-head between Elizabeth and Darcy. Yeah, and that actually would have been a pretty cool way to show, like, even more of, like, how good a match Elizabeth and Darcy are is that they're, they're able to, like, match wits with each other um, in front of Caroline, no less. You know, that would have been a real, like, real, like you know, diss at Caroline. Well, okay. Here's a... I'm just randomly throwing out these questions now. What do you What do you think about uh, Jennifer L's uh, interpretation of Elizabeth? I really like it. Um, I think she captures Elizabeth's, like, playful spirit mm-hmm. much more. Yeah, I don't know. It's, again, like, like Mrs. Bennet, Elizabeth is a really hard character to capture... She's probably the hardest character in the book to play because she's so multifaceted. Yeah, but again, thinking about it, she doesn't necessarily have the quality of prejudice that, like, she doesn't really, like, we don't really see her prejudice informing her actions, really, much. I think, like, I think you mentioned this when we talked about the movie, that Jennifer L. does a good job of, she's got that, like, smirk. She's always got this, Mm. like, sort of twisted face. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's clear that, like, she's, like, has a very, like, active, like, imagination happening behind the face, right? right. I think, so she has that part nailed down, the humor, and I think she's good at, like, like the banter, you know, at at the cutting witticisms. I feel like... The part of Elizabeth that's often neglected is the part that she probably inherited from Mrs. Bennet, which is like the passion. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, which I think, I I, I think a, like um, 
Kira Knightley's character has a lot of passion. I think that's more tapped into that part of her character. Yeah, probably. like passion, uh -huh. like you know, like uh, compassion, overload of passion coming from the movie from Kira Knightley's interpretation. So kind of in a similar vein of Mr. Darcy, like the perfect Elizabeth is somewhere in between Jennifer L. and Kira Knightley. It's got to be someone who can be both like incredibly sardonic and dry in the same way that Mr. Bennett is, and someone who will like hear Wickham's sob story and, like, take up his cause, right? Yeah. It's someone who could be, like, moved to action in that way. Right. We don't, yeah, it's, again, I don't even think it's, I don't even think it's, it's, uh, it's Jennifer L's fault. It's just, I think adaptations are just a little bit, they, they hedge their bets when it comes to showing Elizabeth's faults because they don't want a faulty female protagonist. They have to have her be, like, this perfect, like female protagonist and that her only her only you know flaw which sometimes couldn't even be counted as a flaw is just that she's a little hot-headed or something i feel like like i want to see the play version of just these scenes like <laughs> the old movie is actually based on a play i think you have you read that play is that i have right? that play i haven't read it yet okay. yeah and i found this random copy of a stage adaptation of pride and prejudice that the 1940 i think the the old movie the is old movie is based Kirk off Carson, of uh, yeah i uh I feel like I'd interesting exercise would be to like create a play just of the these weeks that they're Jane and Elizabeth are at Netherfield. That would be really but interesting. I would love to see these scenes like played out on stage and especially mm. like the Elizabeth Darcy like arguments, like their conversations <laughs> that verge on arguments. Almost. Yeah, uh -huh. it is a very it's like a Beatrice and Benedict kind of relationship, and. I think you mentioned this earlier in um in the uh other podcast, but like yeah, like I'd be like if a director told the character actors playing Beatrice and Benedict to play completely straight, uh -huh. and that, that's just not what makes the that's just not what makes the relationship between Elizabeth and Darcy so like magical. It's just like they can't help but just be perfect sparring partners, and like they can't help but both of them have their like passions elevated just by talking to each other. But I don't really get the like like we like we said kind of. We don't really get the passion coming through in in the BBC's uh, Elizabeth. Okay, regardless. Regardless. So then we get the scene where Mrs. Bennett and the girls come and yep. visit and Netherfield. Mrs. Yeah, and uh -huh. Mrs. Bennett. This is where Mrs. Bennett actually sort of makes an ass of herself in front of Mr. Darcy because she talks about like what it does and doesn't constitute gentlemanly behavior. I Obviously, he's trying to slight Darcy. I don't think we get that in the movie where Not Mrs. Bennett comes after Darcy, but I like it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, of course, it's mortifying if you're one of Mrs. Bennett's daughters. Maybe yeah. Lydia and Kitty are too dumb to get for <laughs> that to second. Right. But if you're Jane or Elizabeth, but I like it. It's fun to see Mrs. Bennett like come after Darcy mm -hmm. for like, like no reason uh, at all, like completely unprompted. Well, she thinks he slights the country. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 she, yeah. He says something that there's like not a lot of entertainment in the country, and right. she just like runs with it. <laughs> no entertainment, sir. We dine with four and twenty families, <laughs> which of course I love that they include that line. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, I mean that's if you could put a number on it, that means there's not that many people. If <laughs> you're counting all the families <laughs> you dine with, uh, yeah. Um, but then after that, it's you know not a whole lot happens. I do want to mention there's a lot of stifled laughter in this movie. Basically, yes. any time in the book someone was being ridiculous, this this movie has characters on screen stifling their laughter just to like remind you that <laughs> they're yeah, being ridiculous. Yeah, you're right. right. I think in this scene, Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst are stifling their laughter. Uh, yeah, Mrs. Yeah, Bennett. Barely uh -huh. contain themselves. Right. Um, Which of course is that's a power play. Like 
I don't. I feel like that's artifice coming from the Bingley sisters. Mm-hmm. Like they probably don't find it that funny, but they're like, we're gonna lean into the stifled laughter to indicate that yeah. we like think that Mrs. Bennett's ridiculous. Right. right? They're like, uh-huh. oh my goodness, that is so hilarious. That is shocking that she would say that. Ha ha. But it's like, you're right. Like it's 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 um it's play acting. Her their like surprise. Um. Oh, and then I think this is after this is where we get Dar- Darcy bathing. But nevertheless, it's in the uh, it's in the okay. span of time uh, right, where yeah, Elizabeth is yeah where Elizabeth is is um, at Netherfield and Darcy is within proximity of her, and he's getting hot and heavy. So hot and heavy, he has to take a shower. <laughs> Gotta take a bath. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta take a cold shower. Uh-huh. And then um, the episode ends with um, Elizabeth and Jane leaving Riding in their off carriage. In the carriage. And Elizabeth's like, I can. I've never wanted to leave a place more. <laughs> uh, and I do think, uh, credit to this miniseries, I like where they end the episode so far. I think this is a very natural conclusion for like what would be the first chunk of the book with mm-hmm. them leaving Netherfield. Yeah, their the little stint at Netherfield was like a um like a, a, a cornerstone of the story. Uh-huh. And we're pretty much all set up now. We have a lot of the characters. We we at least have the core four characters. Yes. And we know like what the the dynamics are there. Yes. Okay, so episode two, right? Episode two, it begins, this is where, this is where it begins with Mr. Bennett renouncing at dinner or at breakfast that he has received a letter. And this is where Mrs. Bennett thinks it's from Mr. Bingley and she calls Jane a sly thing. Uh, (laughs) That's, she's actually calling her like a little slut. You little, (laughs) you little slut. You didn't tell me this was going on. (laughs) Um, And actually it is in fact Mr. Collins. Uh And, um... The, of course, Mrs. Bennett has a strong dis- reaction against him. Like, yeah. that odious man who's gonna steal our estate, right? right. Uh, and then, yeah, Mr. Bennett, he starts reading the letter, and then the voiceover gets overtaken by Collins, and mm-hmm. we see a scene of him leaving his little parsonage, um, borderline genuflecting at Lady Catherine when she leaves the church. We get a little glimpse of Lady Catherine before she's introduced, and, yeah, we get the scene of... Collins walking out of church, yeah, like basically like bowing at Lady Catherine <laughs> the whole way out, right? Yeah. And this, yeah. No, what were you saying? Uh, this is also in this like little flash away to Collins while he's reading the letter. We see him like mounting a carriage and needing help up. I think it's the carriage he's about to get on to ride to. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh huh. Longbourn. Yeah, it seems like right after church service, he goes, yeah, he needs help being up being like lifted up the carriage uh, like a lady <laughs> yeah of course uh, taking uh, collins is just constantly emasculated in adaptations yeah um actually it's funny i think thinking back on the scene this is the, this is where actually we get to see lady catherine for the first time not at rosings but in this sort of flash away mm-hmm. and it's almost like it's very somber it's almost like a funeral process her coming out of the church as i recall cuz she's just so I don't know. That's just that's just like the air that she brings. Like that's just, just like the cloud that looms over her. It's just like everything is so blah. <laughs> this is a little bit of a different take on yeah. Lady Catherine. We'll talk about it more mm-hmm. in the rosing scenes. Right. So we see Collins uh, being carried away on the carriage. Mm-hmm. I think he like gets like whiplash because the 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 horse starts so suddenly. He's like ah, you know, <laughs> another just more to add to his um, emasculation. This is. This Collins is a little closer to the Collins of the book. Collins of the book, of course, one of the few uh, physical descriptions is like a tall, tall, like portly man, right? Mm. This Collins is not tall, but he is like chubby, kind of. Yeah, he's a little chubbier. He's 
He's got a terrible haircut. I think that's also a Colin staple. You have to have a bad haircut, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything to make you look utterly undesirable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like in the movie, very short. A very short, short man. Yeah, short, yeah. And I think just more to add to his emasculation. But I also, it's interesting that both adaptations um, decided to completely change uh, Colin's appearance. Because Colin's is one of the few people whose appearances we do get. And he is described as like really tall and portly. I think it's sort of supposed to just sort of represent his materialness is that he is so large that he just accumulates um, objects because that's what, you know, that's what feeds him. Not not God. It's like a, uh-huh. like food and drink and Absolutely. merriment. Especially the, the table that Lady Catherine keeps. Yeah. There's also, there's actually a another clergyman in Mansfield Park who is incredibly fat and a huge glutton. So I guess this is something <laughs> of a uh, preoccupation with Austin, gluttonous clergyman. I think, yeah, my, my, um, my suspicion as to why they decide to change him from this tall, like, portly man to, like, a small, like, mouse-like character. I think it's just because it might be just, like, a little too threatening uh-huh. to have a large, looming man be, like, in control of these ladies' futures. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not very funny anymore when he when he's, like, like, giant, like a giant man who is, like, very large and... And I think just also just, like, in present time, I think the way to emasculate a, a man is to unfortunately, like, re- render him to be really short. And I think that they decide to go that route to make it more comedic. Okay. All right. So Collins arrives. Yeah, he also does this, like, thing with his hand where he, like, puts his hand in front of his mouth. Like, uh, yeah. I, I don't quite know. You'd have to see it. Like a little but... squirrel. Yeah, yeah. He has very squirrely hands. <laughs> uh, so he's having dinner. With the Collinses, I mean, with the Bennets, I'm sorry, Mr. Collins is having dinner with the Bennets, and he has his famous line about how most of his compliments are genuine, but he does enjoy coming up with <laughs> little compliments here and there <laughs> that can be adapted to situations. Yeah, for in his arsenal. And of course, all the, the Bennett girls are can barely contain their laughter. They're giggling. I think this is genuine stifled laughter. Oh, here. yeah, because they actually, like, they've never met this guy, and all of a sudden he comes in saying ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing. Okay, and then after this dinner, of course, we all know why Collins is there, which is to marry one of the Bennett girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get a little scene outside. There's a lot of scenes in, the like, the yard of Longbourn. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about this yard a little bit? The This one is more, it's more how I imagine Longbourn would have, is, like, this big backyard. Um, we don't really see much of a yard um in the movie like we see like a natural it's like it's more the property kind of yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's much more well kempt like like a yard would be kempt like a, in the miniseries yeah, right? the miniseries, yeah like the backyard would yeah. be kempt it's got like some trees some um hedges there's a very visible wall yeah yeah uh, very visible wall it's all it's very like contained like this is clearly an estate whereas like in the movie it's almost like it just so happens that Longbourn is like across the road from a naturally occurring river or something, a stream. I can't quite. It tell. was like a pond. A pond, right? yeah. It was I like feel, a... yeah. Go ahead. No, what are you saying? Uh, I feel like that was a prerogative of the movie to make it a little, like especially the Longbourn scenes to like make it more natural to like have more natural imagery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you described it as like wilder. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah the, in the movie, everything is much more wild, and like there's like 
overgrown grass everywhere and like flies and like whatever gnats in the air but yeah it, it, sorry not to digress but yeah in the bbc series it's it's much more contained and so collins and mrs bennett and the daughters are all outside and mm-hmm. collins and mrs bennett are walking and he's making his intentions known to mrs bennett yes. and he intends to um Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Yeah. And Mrs. Bennett is like, no, because she's almost, she's as good as engaged. Uh And here's a little digression from the book, too, is that we get this weird POV from Collins where he is looking at each individual sister in the, uh, in the backyard. Yeah. It shifts from Kitty Kittya, sorry, Lydia and Kitty. Let's just call him Kittya, the, the duo that is. Uh-huh. He is. He sees Kittya like playing and like wildly laughing, and then he, the camera literally like turns to Mary, who's just standing there reading her book, mm-hmm. and then it turns to uh, Elizabeth and Jane, and Elizabeth is smiling and laughing with Jane, and clearly that that's the winner. That's contestant number three is the winner. In the book, you know, it's just like Jane's taken on to number two, right? Mm-hmm. Elizabeth is next in line. Like, I think even Collins even says in the book Jane was one of his fir- reasons for first choices because she's number one, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah. on to number two. Here, it's a little bit more of, we get a little bit of the lecture, <laughs> Collins here. Yeah. Which well, is, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, that he's like actually choosing. He's like actually like, um, oh, here's another weird, he is objectifying the girls in this mm-hmm. case. He is like looking at them and being like, which one do I want? I don't. Yes. So, okay, yeah. So in the mo- in this miniseries, he looks at each girl and he's like, well, Elizabeth's the best of the bunch. Mm. Where in the book, it's just like, Jane's taken, on to number two. Yeah. In the book, Collins doesn't really care what his wife looks like, you know? No, not really. It's more just the status symbol of having one. Yeah, here uh-huh. it is, like like you said, more lecherous because he is being driven by something, like being driven by his loins uh-huh. <laughs> to select another, another daughter to marry. Because I don't, you know, he didn't, pick elizabeth for her personality he even says in the proposal like we can hopefully we can get some of that liveliness out of you right <laughs> without uh, that liveliness yeah. yeah he says that in the book that is right um but yeah so then he makes his decision and okay. then we go to meriton they he, all walk into town collins yeah. and the daughter they all walk uh-huh. into town as in the book and then this is where we meet mr wickham denny introduces wickham to the ladies and um he's out of he's in civilian clothes here wickham yes. uh-huh yes and like in the like in the book actually and uh well how would you describe him how would you describe wickham the this wickham of the miniseries yeah he's definitely tall Mm -hmm. he's a little older than maybe i imagined the Mm. wickham of the book Mm -hmm. i don't maybe he is i'm sorry if this actor was in his 20s during the the time he filmed it but he doesn't quite look like he's in his 20s to me Uh, maybe this is a Wickham who has let his moral degradation sink in, a little, <laughs> sink into his face a little bit. Yeah. It's definitely Wickham of the movie of the two thousand five movie is like a male model. Well, they're all models. <laughs> <laughs> all right, every single one of them uh, are models. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm I am sort of curious as to how they came to um, as to how they came to this guy, this guy to be to play portray Wickham. Maybe he just. I don't know, like, maybe he's just really that good at being Wickham, but, like, I guess when I was reading it, I imagined Wickham to just be truly, like, a, like, like an angel. Like, <laughs> <laughs> truly. Well, that's kind of how he's described, <laughs> yeah. almost. Uh-huh. But, like, like, with the face of an angel and, like, just, you know, lur- with the, you know, uh, evil lurking underneath, but, like, I don't know. I mean, 
whatever, you know. They, they can... I think this, he, he's more of a rogue, this Wickham. And right yeah. off of the bat, you know. For sure, uh, yeah. And he's like, he's got like roguish charm, kind of. He is charming, yeah. He's always smiling. He's always saying things very gently, which is, you know, very, I guess, gentlemanly of him. You know what would have been, this is a very, like, I don't know if this could have ever worked, but uh, I wonder if, like, a Hugh Grant, like, what he would have done with Wickham, Mr. Edward Farrar's himself. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, a like a Jude Law. A Jude Law, I think, would be a good Wickham, because he, you know, especially, like, at the height of his fame, yeah. you know, he, uh, of course, he's incredibly handsome, but he's got that score. He's a little skeezy, or like you know, that's his persona, kind of, right? Yeah, uh, he's got the high cheekbones and the pointy hairline. A Jude Law, yeah, would be a, definitely a good Wickham. Uh, something who, someone who's both like incredibly handsome, but also skeevy at the same time. Yeah, but I think like to your point about, and this is just rambling, but to your point about the Hugh Grant Wickham, it's like Hugh Grant does have that that just that that he just oozes British charm, you know, uh, and so it just would have been like a perfect way for him to be evil on the inside right. by having him be completely charming on the outside and that's a great way to be like to win elizabeth over to his like sob story right mm -hmm. yeah actually maybe hugh grant would have been a really really good uh really good wickham we know you can play a villain from paddington too yeah oh well i guess that's why they chose hugh grant for uh bridget jones right oh he is a I villain in bridget forgot. jones yeah oh. opposite colin firth i didn't even quite put that together that they they're both from Odyssey adaptations yeah oh man i guess just every if you're a british actor you gotta be in a in an austin adaptation whether it's period or modern Okay, all right, so anyway, they, they meet Wickham, and yes. who should ride along but Darcy and Bingley, yep. right? And uh, Bingley does the gentlemanly thing of come, coming down his horse to talk to them. Darcy does not get off his horse. No, no Darcy gets off his horse to greet Wickham. Just gallops off. Gallops off, uh, yeah, off out of town. Which is, the Darcy of the book wouldn't have done that. That's just a little too indecorous. Right. But, um, you know, you gotta show visually how Darcy is not a fan of this guy. Yeah. And it's just like, it's it's so subtle in the book. It's really about their facial expressions, especially Darcy's, that it, that's just hard to mm. show visually. It's much easier just to have him gallop off on his horse, right? Yeah. And I guess the the reason that he had to maintain face was for his sister's benefit. But it's sort of like, I guess every, you could argue that like, no one could have like, no one could have really predicted, oh, why did Darcy ride off on his horse? It must have to do with his sister, uh -huh. you know? So I think maybe that gives them like, the, the 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 freedom to let him just be haughty on his horse. Yeah, that's a good point. But you make an also a very good point. Like the Darcy, the book, regardless of the, whether that would have tipped anyone off about his sister, he would have, he's so, you know, all about decorum and maintaining like a certain, certain appearances that he would still have made some kind of show, right? Yeah, but it's just, you know, I said this in the, in the 2005 uh, episode too, that just that audiences want him to ride off and not greet Dar uh, Wickham. There has to be some, he has to do something that would instantly like, instantly let everyone know that they are not friends right and point made <laughs> darcy does not like wickham yeah, we get point the made. point uh -huh. and so then we have the phillips's party which was omitted in the movie we have no phillips no aunt phillips in the movie mm. yeah but here we have the phillips yay uh -huh. they're alive after all they have a party 
and full of uh, young ladies and officers, and we get the little Wickham uh, Elizabeth tete-a-tete. Right, where Wickham tells Elizabeth his whole long, sad story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well... I'm glad, oh well, no, I'm glad, because I'm, I mean, they're, for, they're professional screenwriters. I'm sure they understood this, but Wickham's brilliance comes from him, like, fishing for what Elizabeth's opinion is of Darcy before he tells her uh, the sob story. Yeah, you're right. And they, he does that in the movie, and he does that in the BBC series. He always leads with, what's your opinion of Darcy? Versus, like, just immediately going into how much he hates Darcy. He wants to, like, get a feel for the, he wants to take the temperature of the environment before he relays his sob story. This is a willing year. Someone who's going to believe me. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, also, so, yeah, go ahead. No, what? What were you going to say? Uh, also, the, the Aunt Phillips here, she carries herself with a little bit more dignity than I feel like she does in the book. Yeah. Like, in the book, she basically can't talk without, like, spouting vulgarities, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, this one's, she's even, like, more sane than Mrs. Bennet. She's much more sane than Mrs. Bennet. I feel like she's pretty well-dressed, too. Mm -hmm. She's got, like, jewels on, like, a red dress, as I seem to remember. We do get the scene of Collins basically insulting her house by comparing it to, like, a summer room at Rosings. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a scene in the book that happens entirely through narration, Mm -hmm. like, through related dialogue, and then they put that in dialogue in the movie where he's like, this... This is such a handsomely fitted up room. It reminds me of the smallest room in like <laughs> Lady Catherine's yeah, house, yeah. right? But oh wait, that's a compliment, you mm-hmm. know. And then Mrs. Phillips like, oh well, in that case, yeah, it's they managed to include that here, just more adding to more character building, I guess, for for uh, Collins. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and then yeah, we get to see Jane Elizabeth talk um, afterwards, where. I think Elizabeth relays what she learns about Wickham. Yeah, yeah. And Jane, I think, talks about how... Or... I can't remember what they even talk about. Jane does, like, refute that story later on. She says that, according to Bingley, Wickham's not a gentleman. But I think that happens after... The ball. The Netherfield ball, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I do appreciate how they definitely took the time to have all the Jane Elizabeth scenes. Like, these Jane Elizabeth conversations are very important for the narrative. And Mm. also just for establishing, like, they are, you know, they're their own... Jane and Elizabeth are the two points of, like, sanity in this family. And they are, like, basically deserted on an island of ridiculousness. Yes, the cross-bearing sane people. They they do, yeah. There's another reason they wear the crosses. Oh, yeah. They bear the cross. They bear the cross. The Bennett cross. (laughs) Um, the, the, yeah, they bear the sins of their family. <laughs> and then we see, uh, I want to say this is at Longbourn. They kind of do by marrying two rich men, too. Oh, I guess you're uh, right. Um, where we see some soldiers, where Kitty and Lydia are playing with soldiers. I think this is back in the yard, Back right? in the yard, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're being pushed on a swing by mm-hmm. these two soldiers in what is essentially, like, an orgy. <laughs> and, of course, they're being pushed so that Lydia... It's like a... It's swinging diagonally, and Lydia is going further out than Kitty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lydia Lydia is the wilder one. So I appreciate this. I, I always like visual storytelling mm-hmm. in the medium of movies and t- TV and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so this is just them being like, don't forget about what Lydia and Kitty's doing. And it's a nice little visual shorthand for what's going on without having to create a whole other scene, right? Right, yeah. And then um, I think the Netherfield, the night of the Netherfield ball approaches. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Lydia has... Well, Lydia, in true sisterly fashion, I think she comes up be like, you look nice. And Elizabeth's like, thanks. And Lydia's like, 
just so you know, we all want to dance with Wickham, so don't keep him to yourself all night or something like that. Yes, she does say don't keep Wickham to yourself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is also just li- laying those hints, like really want you to drive it home that Lydia's out there having fun with soldiers and like has even kept, she has her eye on Wickham a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Right. And she, mind you, she says this while she's like in her undershirt, under undergown. This is another scene, yeah, another scene created for the miniseries, we wouldn't have seen them getting dressed in the book. No. So more of just, like, sexy stuff happening, right? <laughs> yeah. Like dressing rooms and stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. very girly stuff, too. Like, this is clearly a girl's household because they're just running around without their dresses on and, like, talking, like, you know, getting their hair done, talking about boys. Very girly, very, like, feminine. Okay, well, what happens also in this scene of them getting ready? Well, so then she leaves the room, and um, I think Mrs. Bennet tells her not to run around without her dress on. And then who should she bump into but Mr. Collins? Collins, like, coming up the stairs, mm-hmm. right? And she is in her dressing gown, like, cleavage out. It's not <laughs> that scandalous, but it would have been at that time. Yeah, uh, she, yeah, cleavage full out, and um, not full out, but, like, very behaving. And then um, she is, like, giggling when she bumps into Colin. She is giggling. She, and... like, gasps back to laugh, as I seem yeah, to remember, right? right. She's, uh-huh. like, barely trying to use the dress that she's holding in her hand to cover herself up. Uh-huh. She's, like, still just too, too, find it, find it too hilarious to do anything. And then finally, Mr. Collins, like, shields his eyes with his hand and walks away. And he's, like, walking down the stairs. And then we hear Lydia go up the stairs. And then off camera, we hear Lydia and Kitty squealing with laughter. Just yet, yeah, probably the uh, pinnacle of the emasculation of Collins. Yeah. Just like Lydia does not think of Collins as like a sexual creature or even a man <laughs> at all, right? No, it'd be like it'd be like if she like accidentally ran into her dog naked or uh-huh. something like that. Honestly, I don't know how necessary it is to continually emasculate Collins. You know, like, that. the point is understood. I feel like his power comes from, like, like this position. Like, he weirdly has a lot of power, right? He has this position in the clergy. He's gonna get Longborn. Like, the Bennets are almost, like... You know, he almost controls the Bennets in that way. He thinks that he can just strong-arm one of the daughters into marrying him. Well, I think they just like having him on screen because he's such a, he is such a, like, hilarious character, but also just very unlike any of the other men in the entire story. He's the only, like... He does belong... Yeah, go ahead. He's, like, the only, like, buffoon in the entire uh, series, and so they, like, want him to... They want him for the laughs. He belongs among the women. Right. But uh, the thing is, is I would say, I think Collins emasculates himself enough in like everything <laughs> he says and does that it's not super necessary to include more scenes emasculating him. No, right? the scene between Lydia and Collins, it was, I, I didn't see the point of it. I get it. It's just like, all right, one more instance of him like being awkward and being emasculated. But like, like we don't, we didn't need this. Cause like there never needs, oh, you know what? I, I take it. Maybe this will, maybe this is like, when uh, Lydia runs away, Colin sends his, like, nah, I told you so. Uh, Maybe that's his, like, way of getting back at Lydia. Oh, yeah, that's true. That now could that be, I think yeah. about it, yeah. The long game. Where it's, like, yeah, like, Collins finally gets his, gets his, uh, gets his revenge on Lydia by, um, uh, gets his revenge on Lydia emasculating him there. 
by being like you're the family should uh, disavow her okay that's a good point so yeah that maybe that's they're trying to like build a little bit of an arc there that like mm. colin's had a thing like a, a grudge against yeah. lydia anyway he had a bone to pick and i was guess, just waiting for the right moment i guess i'll just say that like a man who proudly like lives his life like licking the boot of a woman <laughs> is like does not need further emasculation <laughs> you know i know <laughs> they just, he's just too good a character to like not have him on screen when he is around, I guess. That's true. Uh-huh. I think this actor does a pretty good job of conveying... I think he conveys a Collins that's closer to the book than what they did in the movie. And that mm. being said, they also change that Collins a lot, too. Yeah, yeah. This Collins' repression comes much more from, like, sex. Whereas, um... Where... where well, yeah, the thing about this Collins is, like, I, I he, his lechery comes from, like, the fact that it seems like he's like he's actually like kind of like a pervert who's like sexual repression or his like sexual lechery is just like just brimming at the surface mm. of his personality whereas like the 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 collins of the movie it's much more like religious repression yes well a good this is definitely i think this collins sells more of the worldly aspect of collins mm. a good example of that is in this movie where they're going to netherfield and he's trying to get Elizabeth to dance. Elizabeth, like, is that really, like, is, is that really couth for a clergyman to be dancing? <laughs> and that's when he has his speech about how it's fine for the clergy to dance. Yeah. Where in the movie, he just offers that voluntarily. Right, right. Like, no one asked him about whether it's okay for a clergyman to dance. Right, yeah, yeah. This, this, this Collins, also just with more um, time available, he also is way more vocal about how much things cost. Like, uh-huh. like we'll see later on, he keeps... Like he, for multiple time, multiple occasions, talks about uh, Lady Catherine's eight hundred dollar chimney, eight hundred pound chimney. Sorry, um, just adding to his materialism and his worldliness. Okay, All right, so All right, moving we on. get to the Netherfield Ball. Uh-huh. They definitely have a bigger band for this ball. Yes, um, and then um, they just they come in, and Mister Collins makes an ass of himself in front of Caroline, of course, and just which is just more fodder for Caroline. Um, they walk around, there's Lydia and Kitty have already found soldiers to dance with, and, uh, one of the soldiers says something about, along the lines of, like, oh, I, I dance with both of your sisters at once, if I could, and, well, not great. That's just a random soldier who says that. Yeah, no one, no one in particular, but it is sort of, like sexual another yeah this is definitely the prerogative of this miniseries to like bring the sex to the forefront yeah of the narrative. <laughs> yeah and then we see collins does in fact dance with elizabeth i think he said he wanted to dance with all of the sisters um and elizabeth is up first and he uh is a bad dancer unlike in um the book or sorry not the book unlike in the movie where he like is fine. He's, he's a, a fine, fine dancer. dancer. It's more the move, the visual gag, of the dancing in the movie is that he's so much shorter than everyone else. Right. right? And uh, here it's like, let's add some more embarrassment to that. Let's make him actually bad at dancing and not know the moves and mess it up for not just him and Elizabeth, but for everyone else in the entire line. This is also, you know, I mentioned this before, one of the pleasures of adaptations is getting to see what these dances would actually look like. Mm-hmm. For the Collins-Elizabeth dance, it seems like it's kind of an awkward dance to begin with. It's like slow and stately and they're like switching partners kind of <laughs> and there's like a part where the man does like a little twirl or something <laughs> yeah, that's right. uh, yeah actually the the one thing i loved was like it, it, the, yeah the dance starts with the the men doing like a jig like a hop skip or something and the way that it's framed in the shot is that 
like you can't see the other men around him so it's just him in frame uh -huh. doing a hop skip and yeah. it looks utterly hilarious because you're like what on earth is he doing look like a like a baby deer or something uh -huh. and then you realize like oh that's actually that's the... just part of the dance yeah but it just like that's just like a great way <laughs> to start off his his dance scene it's just like have him do this little like girly hop skip <laughs> and then of course we have to contrast that with Elizabeth and Darcy yes. dancing next. And I gotta they... say, this is a very long dance between Darcy and Elizabeth. You get to see the full choreography of this dance. Mm -hmm. I assume it's historically researched. Uh, sure. It's kind of an interesting looking dance. They're like, they all stand in a line at one point. They're like holding hands with other people. Mm -hmm. There's claps, I believe. <laughs> but then we get, of course, their conversation about Elizabeth's like, you know, I say something, no, you say something. That's how conversations work, yeah. right? Uh -huh. Which I, I think... Hmm. I mean, if we were to say, I think this, I don't know which one I like better. This one or, I mean, the one in the movie is much more uh, cinematic and... It's very romantic in the movie. Yeah. Where this is a little bit more awkward and stilted. Which I think is accurate to the book. Because it's like Liz Elizabeth is truly grasping at straws trying to make conversation with Darcy, which is what you're supposed to do when you're dancing with a partner. Um, but... It's almost just a little too, a little too um, awkward, a little too like disconnecting for the two of them. I don't know. What do you think? Well, you had a good note about like the sound. Of oh this yeah. Dance. Uh -huh. One thing, I guess it's. I don't know if it is like a it was a choice or if they just didn't have the means of removing this much sound, but like. You could just hear the floorboards squeaking, the shoes clanking against the wood. It's just like the, it's just a lot of noise, which is, I guess, accurate of what it would have been like. It was a lot of noise, but it was just sort of like, I felt like at one point it, it just felt, and the scene took, it was, goes on for so long that I was like, all I'm hearing now is the noise of the floorboards and I can't pay attention to what they're saying. I think this is, the prerogative of this was to sell the awkwardness of it, kind of. Yeah. But that being said, it's still, like, it still looks a lot better in contrast to Collins, mm -hmm. right? It might be awkward, but it's not, it's still not dancing with Mr. Collins. Right, right. Uh, right, at least they're talking. But, again, I think it's weird. I feel like, because I always talk about how, like, I love how lively Jennifer L's interpretation is it. But here it's, like, not very lively. It's... I feel like she could have like, I don't know what how I saw the, how I saw the 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 way the scene goes down in the book is that like, it's like Elizabeth is kind of like, you know, having a laugh yeah. internally because this is so awkward and she's trying and she, like with every sentence that she tries to squeeze out of Darcy she finds him more and more hilarious, mm -hmm. but here it's just sort of like, I don't know I feel like the my Elizabeth would have been able to derive some enjoyment from this dance if especially if it's like at the like um at Darcy's expense which I didn't really quite get in this in this scene I didn't really think like I didn't really think Jennifer L's Elizabeth was um enjoying this dance I just feel like we don't I've yet to see an adaptation that really sells the the merry war of words between Elizabeth and Darcy, you know. Mm, yeah. Emphasis on Mary. Because, yes, they do argue a lot uh -huh. in the 2005 movie. But it's way too intense. It's, like, it's it's way too, like, earnest and passionate. Whereas, like, 
you know, it's like, just because they're from the 1700s does not mean that they're like, devoid of any humor or 17 1800s does not mean that they're devoid of humor if anything the books will tell you that actually they are very capable of having casual conversations and laughing and things like that like mm -hmm. it does not need to be so stoic and serious and prim just because it takes place in the 1800s exactly anyway that's just another rant <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i think that that is kind of the takeaway from this Elizabeth Darcy dance that it's like, oh, it's still stilted between them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they are not the Elizabeth and Darcy, the lovers yet. Yeah. But yeah, maybe I, think... I just, I miss that spark. Like you should have, even though they dislike each other, you should feel that spark between them. Yeah. And also I feel like this didn't quite sell how Elizabeth was feeling about Wickham at this moment. Mm. Like in the book, it's very clear that... Elizabeth is thinking about, like, what Wickham told her when she's dancing with Darcy, right? Yeah, because, yeah, like, Elizabeth thinks, basically, that Darcy deprived her of her living because if Dar if Wickham had been richer, he wouldn't have, ha he wouldn't have to marry up and he could yeah, have married Elizabeth. Yeah, right. uh -huh. I don't... I feel like this miniseries also kind of undersold the Wickham-Elizabeth flirtation slash, like... Yeah. We get it a lot more than in the movie, but, you know, Darcy says during the proposal, like, you take a concern, you take an interest in that man's concerns, right? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. she does, she, and especially here, right? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, and to your point about the spark, it's like, the, this dance is what actually get, makes Darcy fall more in love with her is because she is so witty and, and um, lively despite how awkward the dance is she's able to carry the conversation and and carry intelligent conversation with darcy in this moment and instead it's just very it's very one note it's very um it's it's very kind of passionless yeah i don't know it's, it's a little flat a little flat yeah. yeah i think that's one of the problems with the miniseries, I like a lot of parts of it, but I do think certain parts fall flat. And honestly, I feel like a lot of the most famous scenes, they kind of fall flat, you know? Yeah. Or, or maybe they're just like, we we don't want to highlight famous scenes over other scenes, so we're just going to play everything like straight, kind of. Mm -hmm. I, and then the movie goes in the opposite direction of, let's just turn up the cinematic romanticism to 10, right? Which is right. a choice. Uh -huh. Yeah, it, it is sort of like like a choice of like do, are you going to play favorites or are you going to show preferential are you going to have preferences or special treatment for scenes that are iconic or are you just going to like go chapter by chapter as if they are all equal <laughs> well i think part of the problem with the movie turning the dials way up is it makes like this dancing scene for instance it like every all the cues of the music and the visuals are like these are two people falling in love mm. or like these are two people who are in love you know which is that has not happened in the narrative yet mm -hmm. it's almost a little misleading sometimes it is how the movie dials up the emotion it is you know? so misleading yeah in in this netherfield ball scene elizabeth has zero reason to fall in love with darcy elizabeth has zero reason to even like him let alone think there is something between the two of them right and so in the miniseries they captured that by dialing the emotion way down mm. it's like these are two people who do not like each other yeah where it's like again well, it's like just looking for that midpoint yeah i wish i kind of wished it was two people who didn't like each other but right now it's just like two people who don't even know each other you know it's like right. these two people who are completely like apathetic of each other like there should be we, I, I can't see the the drive of these two characters like 
for Elizabeth, it's supposed to be, you know, disdain because of Wickham. Uh, and for Darcy, it's supposed to be, like, interest because she's never he's never met a woman like Elizabeth before. Right. But it, they're meeting as if they're meeting for the first time here. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't quite have yeah like the the fire there's no fire underneath them i feel like honestly they're both like i like the, both the interpretations uh colin firth and jennifer Hill are doing but i maybe just don't feel like the spark so much between them like the chemistry that they need the chemistry you know? yeah because even when elizabeth like dislikes darcy there's still like passion in her dislike for him yeah we'll get to we, we'll get to this later on but it's like with the the proposal between elizabeth and darcy but like there is nothing but like chemistry between Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Like they are perfect sparring partners, for better or for worse. They are really good at sparring and arguing to the point where they're like <laughs> shouting on top of each other, which is great. But like, but we need some of the, and it would have been great if that kind of connection, that kind of chemistry, could have been brought into the BBC adaptation. Like I don't know what it is. Why it just didn't quite like meld it just they don't like they're not, like completely off on like different wavelengths you know yeah or with uh and this especially comes out in those netherfield scenes where jane is sick like darcy and elizabeth are on their own different wavelength <laughs> that like everyone else is kind of confused by yeah right? yeah uh -huh. that is what makes them so great is that they can't help but be perfect partners whether it's whether it stems from hatred or love but here it's just sort of like that that gets lost i i don't really Oh god, I feel like such an asshole for saying it, but like I really don't get the connection between this Elizabeth and Darcy. It's okay, you can say it. It's <laughs> valid criticism. <laughs> yeah, well, it's twenty years. I think after twenty years, it's safe to <laughs> safe to, 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 to um have critics criticisms about this. I think the, another thing about this Netherfield ball because now we're going to transition into the mortification <laughs> section of the night, or at least the part of the night where the Bennets embarrass themselves. Yeah. is that like? This is kind of, in the book, it's like a night of mortifications for Elizabeth, <laughs> yeah. right? First she's got to dance with Collins, then she's got to dance with Darcy, who she hates because of what Wickham just told her, <laughs> and then she's got to witness her family, like, exposing her to every sort of embarrassment. Yeah, we see the, we get, we see them sitting down, we see, um, I can't remember the order of operations, but we see, we'll Mrs. Cover, we yeah. see Mrs. Bennet loudly proclaiming that, Little Jane and Bingley are more or less engaged, like within earshot of Bingley, which is yeah, very awkward. Yeah, and highly indecorous, of yeah, course. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then we see, I think Bingley is like, "Who wants to go sing?" And then, oh no, no, he, he doesn't even say that. He says, um, "Caroline, why don't you delight us with singing or something like that?" And then, um, and then Mary just like you know shoots up and then like makes a beeline for the piano uh -huh. and starts opening her mouth and we realize it is gonna be a disaster because she is awful i think in the book she's more she's technically proficient if it's like boring and lifeless yeah. where here she's just clearly bad <laughs> yeah technically proficient but lifeless is maybe how i would describe this <laughs> series oh <laughs> uh, not every part of it not every part. Well, okay well there's also i feel like this series has the best handle on lydia and yeah. maybe that's because this series is kind of horny <laughs> but uh <laughs> i believe it's during netherfield ball where she steals one of the soldiers swords yes and is running around with it which is that is like we're that's not even symbolism anymore <laughs> like you're verging on just like explicitness <laughs> yeah she's running around um i think that's one of the series of mortifications of course you have to show darcy walking around and viewing all this because that's 
laying the groundwork for what he later does, which right. is like tells convinces Bingley to give Jane over. Yeah, and then we have Mister. Uh, sorry, Mister. We do have Mister Collins actually. He does. He does makes make his own introduction to Darcy. This is during the song. Yes. Uh-huh. While Mary's singing, everyone's just trying to ignore her. And then Mr. Collins walks up to Darcy unprompted and is just completely overtaken by the fact that Mr. Darcy and him share a relation. Uh, well, which is Lady Catherine. Which is Lady yeah. Catherine. And Darcy is like, who are you? And he gives him his name and Darcy just walks away. I think, feel like this scene is actually perfectly in Colin Firth's wheelhouse. That he, mm. like, and I like this scene too, that Darcy just, like, walks away from him. Because that's what happens in the book also. Yeah, uh, right. It's just like, I don't want to talk about <laughs> Yeah, <again>. right. <laughs> and then we get, um, as Mary's about to start her second song, we get Mr. Bennett quietly walking up to her and like under her under his breath telling her, you know, you've delighted us long enough. That's for when Mr. Bennett says it, it's for Mary's ears only. I feel yeah. like that's the implication. Where in the book, that's like he's saying that to everyone, at least how I believe. Yeah, yeah I, I am waiting. I am waiting for the adaptation where we get Mr. Darcy. Sorry, we get Mr. Bennett shouting across the room. Mary, you've delighted us long enough. Uh, Let the other ladies have a turn to, sh- um, what is it, to show off. Yeah, well, okay, so it's clearly a joke. And this is, you know, he's, this is not the Mr. Bennett of the movie, which comforts Mary. Mm. You know, this is definitely a crustier Mr. Bennett still. But I feel like his reading of this line, you've delighted us long enough, is a little bit to protect Mary's ego ego yeah where in the book i read that is clearly just like a joke like it's a joke for everyone's benefit right, <laughs> right? This is, yeah uh-huh. this is still a mr bennett who he does not derive joy from embarrassing his family in public whereas the 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 mr bennett of the book couldn't care less oh, where, he, where yeah. he uh embarrasses his family what sources of amusement he finds yeah right? amusement's amusement right yeah, this is, yeah the, the the bbc mr bennett still at least has enough decorum where he's like my family should not embarrass themselves in public. Whereas in the book, he thrives off of his family embarrassing themselves in public. You also mentioned, you know, he has, there is a line, not here, where Mr. Bennett says, we have the two silliest girls in England. Yeah. And you mentioned they exclude the line, we have the two silliest girls. Oh, no, wait, the three silliest <laughs> girls, right? I feel like, you know, the adaptations pull back a little bit on the shitting on of Mary. Just because Mary's yeah. kind of a tragic character to begin with. Right, right. She, Yeah, it's a little... T- it'd be like punching down if uh-huh. you were shitting on Mary. One thing I also noticed, Mary's wearing glasses in this series, and the glasses are very similar to Mr. Bennett's glasses. I want to I think that she thinks that herself as um, Mr. Bennett's protege, <laughs> <laughs> when actually she is not. <laughs> I, I really like that observation. That, that's a nice little touch then. Yeah, yeah, to make her, like, how do we uglify her we'll give her glasses and we'll give her unattractive glasses and we'll give her unattractive glasses that look like her father's they at least both go to the same optometrist or whatever the regency equivalent is yeah and then next day we see everyone the family's back at longbourn and mr collins requests a private audience with elizabeth Mm -hmm. in the i guess sitting one of the sitting rooms eating rooms breakfast room maybe the breakfast room and Mrs. Bennett is all too happy to um, leave the two lovebirds to alone. Him. Yes. <laughs> and um, here's some funny prop comedy for you. There, Elizabeth is doing her best to look busy. She is 
rearranging this vase to the point where she is almost like trying to separate herself from Collins by keeping this vase in between them. And then Mr. Collins begins his proposal. Um, it's more or less the same as in the book. Um, they do include the line. I like the, because he talks about first, he want, he thinks it'll add to his happiness. Mm -hmm. Second, it's gonna, it's the duty of a clergyman. To get married, that is. To get is, married. Yeah. And thirdly, oh, perhaps I should have said this first. It's what Lady Catherine wants us to do, wants me to do. And I think they exclude that part in the movie, but I appreciate that they included it in the uh, BBC series. This is also, you know, the movie has that little scene with Collins and the flower. Yeah. You know, this Collins is no, there's no romance to this Collins. No, uh, it's, he's, yeah. The fact that he is sort of being driven by, um, by horniness, I think adds to the lechery <laughs> in this proposal. Uh, well, partially, even, that he doesn't state that. He doesn't yeah. state it, but yeah, there's no, there's no attempt at romance. There's no, there's no like, yeah, even which is which is accurate to the book. There was no romance at all. Um, and then Elizabeth says no. She leaves. Um, we do get the the scene, the the trial, quote unquote trial scene. Mm -hmm. In I don't know if we get a library in the series. I don't Some see Mister Bennett in a library, but he uh, is reading. He spends a lot of time reading. He in does, the series. right? Yeah. But maybe they just couldn't. Uh, maybe they just couldn't afford to make a library, build a library. But he is in some sitting room by himself reading. And then Mrs. Bennett brings Elizabeth in. They do the, you know, the Mr. Collin Mr. Bennett will never, Mrs. Bennett will never see Elizabeth again if she doesn't marry Mr. Collins. And mm -hmm. Mr. Bennett will never see her again if she does. This all plays out pretty much like the book mm -hmm. it's of course condensed again yeah. i think there's a little bit they take a, a moment more for elizabeth to go through the beats of the rejection yeah to be like you know i don't want to go from i'm not trying to hurt your feelings and then he keeps pushing it like mm. she's pushed into giving him the <laughs> the outright like never gonna happen but right <laughs> yeah yeah and then um right and i do appreciate then one more you know one more uh one more nice scene for Mrs. Bennett is that once Mr. Bennett drops his his mic, um, does his mic drop, Mrs. Bennett goes, you know, the class like, oh, Mr. Bennett, blah, 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 like, which I appreciate. Like, that is probably what Mrs. Mrs. Bennett would have done is to, like, curse him and uh -huh. the world for, for, you know, abusing her so. I also like that no adaptation takes the time to credit Miss Bennett's, Mrs. Bennett's uh, claim that she's never going to talk to Elizabeth again, you know, it's just like <laughs> yeah. the next day. Yeah, she's forgotten about that. <laughs> right? well, she can't help it. She's she's doing the thing where like she's like, I am not talking to you right now. You know, where you just can't help but like tell someone that you're not talking to them right now. Mm. Um, but then, um, all right. So this is a little different than this what is a little next. different. Yeah. yeah, we see Mr. Collins is uh, leaving in a heart in a in a hump mm -hmm. in a yeah and and then um kitty and lydia are leaving the house probably to go to meriton and then mm. who should arrive but charlotte yeah they let charlotte know that like the most hilarious thing has happened it's been such great fun <laughs> that is from the book yeah right? uh, which is that yeah. you know elizabeth said no to collins and uh, charlotte um walks in and uh well not even charlotte to kitty and lydia are like oh i should invite him to dinner to you know because i'm sure he's He's in such a bad mood right now. I'm sure he would, you know, I can ask to him to dine with us at uh, Lucas Lodge. Mm -hmm. And they're like, great, take him. <laughs> He's yours. 
this is it's kind of in miniature the scene that happens in the book where charlotte comes and visits them after this proposal and like basically fields all of Colin's attention the whole night and then afterwards Elizabeth's like thanks for taking the bullet on that one right yeah they they speed it up a little bit I even I feel like I like when Mary hears this news like there's a shot of her face where she's clearly like calculating I'm not Mary I'm sorry when Charlotte hears this news is that what I said you said you said Mary okay yeah when Charlotte Charlotte. hears this news there's clearly a scene where she's like calculating yeah where she's like a light bulb goes off she's like I'll have him like I'll take him yeah (laughs) Hey, I need a husband. <laughs> <laughs> if she said no. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, which I guess, I mean, the more I, I the more I see the scene play out, the more I'm like, I, I mean, like, it is quite, you know, bold and of Charlotte to just really, like, the body isn't even cold. The body of this proposal isn't even cold yet, and she is already, like, making, gunning for her chance at Collins. Okay, well, it's very bold how it plays in the miniseries that it's just like her and Collins then leave together to yeah. go to Lucas Lodge, <laughs> which is that's a little the same that's a little day. much. Yeah. Like I don't think that would have happened. That's a that's a little indecorous. <laughs> but Grace and I were having the debate the other night about uh, how like how bold, how like much of a violation of friendship is it that Charlotte just like comes in and scoops up Collins after this, right? right? Like, we we already know. The premise we know is that Elizabeth absolutely does not want to marry Collins. Right. The betrayal is coming from the fact... To Elizabeth, the betrayal is coming from the fact that Charlotte is marrying this utterly ridiculous man. But I guess... Who proposed to her not, like... Oh, not, not even... More than a couple days ago. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. And Yeah, so... It, that's where the betrayal is coming from. Like, how could you have basically married this oaf? Decide to marry this oaf? Like, I thought you were smarter than this. But, like, I guess my question is, like, yes, even though, like, Elizabeth had no intention of marrying Collins, like, isn't it a bit, like, a bit of a, you know, a, a, a betrayal of friendship to then immediately start seeking out the guy who just proposed to you, you know? Like, even who if, just proposed to your friend. Who just proposed yeah. to your friend, yeah. Like, Even if your friend hates that person. Right, yeah. yeah. There should be some, like... Like, they, they, you know, be it... In the, in the series, it is, like, in the course of, like, a night. Uh-huh. But in the book, it really is, like, in the course of maybe 72 hours. Like, I don't know. And I thought, here, here I'm, like... And, you know, Charlotte and Elizabeth are good friends. They're very good friends. So... For Charlotte to actually go behind Elizabeth's back and start scheming this um, this proposal out of Collins, I feel like it's it is a little bit of a breach of friendship. I don't know, but but then again, I'm also like Charlotte has herself to think about. She yeah. is in more dire straits than Elizabeth is. She's poorer. She's not as pretty. She's older. She has to like get her ducks in a row now. You know, she can't wait for her her. Well, she knows she's she knows she's not gonna get her friend's blessing, but uh-huh. she can't. She doesn't have time to like deal with Elizabeth before setting things up for herself. For herself and her family. And her family. Because she's a drain on her family right now. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot of eligible single men coming through the area, as evinced by the fact that it's such a big deal that Netherfield Park's been lit at last, <laughs> right, by an eligible young man. Yeah. I don't, and there's especially not a lot of men coming around who are going to marry Charlotte. Right. I think it's just like, I don't, I think Charlotte's got to like look out for number one here. She sees her opportunity. Here's a man who wants to get married. 
clearly other people don't want to marry him like i want to get married right i guess you're right Uh, it is yeah he here's a man who has like something to offer who has a real position in life and like an income and a nice comfortable home yeah no one wants to buy this stock i'll buy the stock right (laughs) yeah i'm sorry i i think i'm more like generous towards charlotte in that respect and even kind of works out like here's a man who is going to accept me despite the fact that I'm old and homely, <laughs> right? Because he just needs a wife no matter what. Yeah, yeah. In that way, like we've said before, it is the perfect match. I guess my, yeah, maybe things were just, there were just different dynamics back then. But I mean, like, do you even think, like, to get into the psychology of these characters, like, do you even think Charlotte was, like... Thought of it as a violation of trust, no, well, I guess so. But do you think, like, Charlotte was even thinking about, like, yeah, I guess so. Like, was Charlotte even thinking about Elizabeth at all in the 72 hours between Elizabeth's engagement and Charlotte's engagement? That's a great question. I think she, like, the reason she scoops Collins up, the reason that she knows that he's on the market is because she knows that Elizabeth turned him down. Yeah. Like, she wouldn't have, like, picked him up if he didn't propose to Elizabeth first, because that signaled her, like, oh, look, he's looking for a wife, and it, not a lot of, you know, he's going to take what he, whoever will accept him, right? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't have, he maybe has, his options are as uh, limited as mine are, right? Yeah, right. I, I think, I don't think she would think about Elizabeth too mm. much. I think she would be more thinking about, here's my opportunity, right? Right. Well, so that's what I'm like from the... I think it plays softer in the book because we get that lovely scene, even though it's perverse, of like Charlotte's own romance, you know? Yeah, yeah. It is the ultimate perversion of like a meet-cute because here are two completely aromantic characters, Mm -hmm. um, quote-unquote, you know, meeting in the most like cliche romantic way possible, which is like, oh, I just happened to run into you. I think it's harsh in the movie. It comes off harsh in the movie because here she is. She learns this info, and now I'm taking Collins away, right? In the series. In the series. I'm sorry. In this miniseries, it's like, I learn Elizabeth turns down Collins, and then the next thing we see is her taking him to <laughs> Lucas Lodge to, like... Yeah, right uh, under Mrs. Bennett's nose, yeah, yeah. too. Mrs. Bennett is distraught, and Charlotte's like, oh, I'll, I'll take him off your hands so that he won't be so upset tonight. And, yeah, like, I think the scene is, like, Charlotte is literally leading Collins out the door in front of a weeping, hysterical <laughs> Mrs. Bennett. Whereas in the book, first of all, Charlotte never says that. That's that's Elizabeth's summation that Charlotte was taking the bullet of Collins' attention, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> she was just hanging out with him, talking to him at nighttime. Yeah. I mean, when she was hanging out at uh, Longbourn at night, rather. Mm-hmm. And then, like, she invites him over, and they have, like, the whole, their whole little romance or whatever, their, their hour or two of courtship. <laughs> yeah, the 20 uh, minutes of courtship. I think it's just, like, I think in the book, just because you know you're a little bit closer to Charlotte. You know more of her circumstances. Like, it just comes off a little softer. Yeah. And then I I feel like you have, even if you felt bad for, like, how it might have come off as a betrayal to Elizabeth, she can, like, be a little off-putting in how, like, disgusted she is by the marriage, (laughs) right? Yeah. Right. Like... I wonder if Charlotte knew that Elizabeth was going to be disgusted by the fact that it's Collins and not because Charlotte, quote unquote, took her man, you know? I was maybe I think like a generous 
like we don't know this this is all speculation as to how charlotte what she would have felt what she thought but like maybe she would have hoped that elizabeth would be happy for her mm. it's like look you finally found a man with a nice income and also you're taking your this burden off my hands <laughs> from me right yeah rather than how could you have done that to yourself <laughs> to yourself really because i don't elizabeth's not so mad she's not mad so much about the fact that charlotte scooped collins up as about the fact that or you know she's not mad that she scooped up someone who just proposed to her she's mad that she's marrying collins who's utterly ridiculous right yeah all right i guess that that was just sort of what what i've always been thinking about is the friendship between elizabeth and charlotte at at this point in time like what even was going on in charlotte's head and i don't know that's a, I mean, it's a really good question. It's definitely a calculated move. Mm-hmm. It's definitely scheming, you know. <laughs> Char- and Charlotte is the one who initiates it. It's not like Collins had that idea. Charlotte had the idea and then corralled Collins into it. Yeah. Well, Master of her own fate. Yeah. Let us know what you think about this question. Yeah, uh, I'm really curious about what people think about um, this Charlotte-Elizabeth dynamic. Because once, also like, you know, just a once Charlotte marries Collins, it's sort of like she is no longer in this best friend role anymore. I think I think that gets taken over by Mrs. Gardner. Mrs. Gardner, Mrs. Yeah. Gardner becomes the new like best friend to Elizabeth her like sounding board. Um but I don't know. It is it is what it is. I don't I know. don't think Elizabeth could be like best friends with someone married to Mr. Collins probably. Yeah. <laughs> these are these are decisions where which in which there's like no turning back. Mm. And so the, the episode ends <laughs> with mrs bennett crying <laughs> saying watching mr collins leave the door <laughs> roll credits uh-huh. and then episode three okay let's keep moving episode three all right what happens in episode three uh-huh. lydia announces that collins and charlotte are engaged yeah, thanks lydia and mrs bennett is uproariously distraught beside herself beside yeah, herself yeah, yeah. because now this means that this this wench, Charlotte, is going to be mistress of her own house. Yes. And, of course, that's not the worst news that Mrs. Bennett's about to learn. Uh, Bingley is gone. He yep. is. He thought he would be a short a short errand to run in town, but he's going to be gone a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. And we see, you know, Elizabeth saying, or Jane, you know, is casting doubt about her relationship with Bingley. Elizabeth is saying, no, it's not you. It's... Her, it's his sisters. Mm-hmm. She's so confident that he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And then we have Mr. Bennett has this great speech, which in the book happens just for Elizabeth's benefit about how, you know, it's good to be crossed. Like every young lady wants to be crossed in love now and then, mm-hmm. right? Like, Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah, because it gives her like a distinction. Uh-huh. Yeah, and... Elizabeth, you should go after Wickham, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he's going to cross you real good. <laughs> I think in this scene, yeah, everyone's sitting and then Jane actually is so distraught. She gets up and leaves the room. Which is not in Jane's character. Jane would, Jane, Jane would be would suffer in silence at this dig from Mr. Bennett. And of course, Mr. Bennett has been reading the paper right before he says this. <laughs> this is actually an instance of making Mr. Bennett harsher than he was in the book. Yeah. It, that speech is less harsh when it's to Elizabeth because they have a special like understanding. Yeah. Like Elizabeth knows he she understands his jokes. Or to say that in front of the whole family, Mrs. Bennett included, <laughs> and Jane is there too. It was just been crossed in love, not like twenty four hours ago. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, yeah, bad move on Mr. Bennett's part. Maybe this is preparing us for, the the real bastard, Mr. Bennett, to come out. <laughs> yeah, well, so then, um, 
funnily enough, Elizabeth is the one who plants the idea to have Jane go to London. Um, and then we, not, not Mrs. Bennet. Mrs. Bennet in the book is the one who's like, oh, Jane will go to London. Mm-hmm. She'll like go chase after Bingley yeah. and stay with the gardeners. Here it's like, it's weird. Elizabeth's one's like, oh, maybe you should go to town, you know, for the I don't, change of scenery. And it's like, and then the gardeners show up and they are, Again, much older than in, or Mrs. Garner rather is much older. Mr. Garner is always kind of heavy set. I'm not quite <laughs> sure why. I guess just because he is wealthy. Is wealthy. Yeah, I can afford it. Right, and so Mr. and Mrs. Garner arrive. Mrs. Garner is still much older, like same age as uh, Mrs. Bennett, or maybe a little younger. She's certainly not like a near contemporary of Elizabeth. Yeah, and then um, and then we are basically at another. Uh, I can't remember where this dance scene takes place. Is it at... No, it must be at Longbourn. Because it's at Longbourn, It's at Longbourn because yeah. they want to throw a party for the gardeners. And uh-huh. Wickham is there, as well as a Mary King. Miss King makes an appearance here. Mm-hmm. She... Oh, I forgot to mention this. Everyone... I, that it would be the fashion of the time, I believe. All the ladies have lots of curls. <laughs> uh, but Elizabeth always has the most natural seeming curls and her hair is also done like in a, a more modest way than almost any other character. Yeah, we, we, well, yeah, it's basically like we seem the most, of all the ladies, we see her hair the most. It's not covered up in like bows and lace and feathers like everyone else is. And, uh, this is, so the Elizabeth Wickham flirtation is basically over now. Like, mm. we are, we've come to understand that Wickham is going to go after Miss King because she's richer. Yeah. Which, uh, again, it's more present here, but they just, like, definitely toned down the Elizabeth Wickham, uh, flirtation. Yeah. I guess just, they don't have the time, maybe a little bit of a distraction. It also, like, kind of casts a little bit of aspersions on Elizabeth's character that she could be so wrong about someone. I know, which is unfortunate because it's, like, that's the whole point of the book is that, like, both characters need to need to change, need to, like, really change to deserve each other. But everyone is too afraid to change, to make Elizabeth so faulty that she has to change by the end of the book in order to deserve her happy ending it's like people are saying like she deserves her happy ending now since since episode one she deserves her happy ending but she needs like she needs to change there needs to be some character development there's also and this is you know they have a line here where elizabeth's like uh you know handsome men must have something to live on uh, as much as well like like as well as playboys or whatever right Mm -hmm. and uh we lose that whole scene from the book where which is not in the movie either, of course, where she's talking to Mrs. Gardner about, like, the financial considerations of marriage and how it's okay what Wickham's doing. Like, this is really supposed to be showing us this is when she starts to get into her very cynical mood here in this, like, mid-section of the book. Yeah, yeah. Like, why is it okay for Wickham to do this? Like, that's the question. It's like, why is it okay for Wickham to do this but not, like, um, um, Charlotte? Charlotte, right, Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just because Wickham is so good looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then we also get, um, I think Elizabeth is reading a letter from Jane. And we get at the scene of um, Jane in Cheapside. And mm. Mrs., or Miss, Miss Bingley, Caroline, you know, barely deigning to get out of her carriage in this part of town. And she sits with Jane for like, maybe like a minute. <laughs> and then she gets back in her carriage and leaves. Yeah, they let us see that scene, which is a nice addition. Yeah. You want to see that, right? Right. So then we now we know that like, and now Jane knows that 
the friendship was never what she thought it was which i think she says in the letter mm-hmm. they were not as close as i thought basically mm-hmm. we also around this time we get like a little montage where we see it get colder it's like time is passing yeah right? it's like snowing uh-huh. which is what the book does the, the the fact that the book is like and three months have passed and not much happens jane's in london and everyone's just miserable <laughs> indoors and elizabeth is slowly becoming more cynical because there's just like nothing to do and um like we see that in the movie with the with her on the swing mm-hmm. and here we see like frost like creeping up on like the buildings and yeah, snow on the yeah. ground and yeah, more or less and then all of a sudden it's springtime and um uh oh yeah i think like right before charlotte gets married to uh collins she basically makes elizabeth promise to visit her with when Sir William and Mariah, Mariah's also here, when Sir William and Mariah visit her at Hunsford. Yes. Or as we remember in the movie, they cut both of those characters <laughs> out uh, of that trip. Mariah doesn't show up in the movie at all. Mm-mm. And who is Mariah played by here? I believe she is played by one Lucy Davis. Yes, Don from the British yes, office. Yes. The good one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so yeah, She's looking very young, by the way. Very, uh, yeah. One of the, I think, it's probably one of the more um, famous actors to come out of the series since since it first came out. Um, okay, so yeah, Sir William, Mariah, Elizabeth, all set off to visit mm-hmm. Charlotte and Collins at Hunsford, <laughs> and then um, they are greeted at mm-hmm. the door by Mr. Collins, Mr. and Mrs. Collins. All of Collins sort of like all of his boasting about Huntsford about the garden and the doorway and stuff is uh minimized down to one scene here where he's just like talking about how nice the staircase is, <laughs> which is new that's something the miniseries came up with. It's kind of a nice moment. He's like, not too deep, not too shallow, you know, the perfect distance. And if you think this is a nice staircase, wait till you see the staircases at Pember. Oh, I mean at Rosings, yeah. right? Cases with an S. <laughs> <laughs> because Lady Catherine has more than one. This is essentially what he says. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then we are continue the tour to Elizabeth's room, and he decides to open up the closet. Where and what is in these closets? Shelves. shelves. Yeah. And who told them to put these shelves there? <laughs> Lady Catherine. So in, in this exact uh, in this exact configuration. This is uh, the miniseries showing us the Lady Catherine, the busybody, like uh, person who bosses everyone around, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then we see um, Collins showing Sir William and Mariah the backyard, and we see some like honeycombs where. Seems like Mr. Collins has also taken a beekeeping. Yeah, yeah. It seems. What what is that called? Apiary. A, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Apiary. He has these. Yeah, an apiary setup, and then. I guess that's one of the things that keeps him busy. <laughs> yeah, where like yeah, Charlotte explains to Elizabeth indoors when they're watching them that Charlotte encourages Collins to keep outside, which was another um, not like another, kind of I don't know. Like, it, it's a little it is sad. From the book. It is from the book. Yeah. But it's a little sad when you think about it that, like, the only, um, the only, like, like refuse, refuge that Charlotte gets from Collins is just by being alone. Like, she doesn't really have any friends in the area. Uh-huh. So her choices are, like, Mr. Collins, 
Lady Catherine or just being by herself. And it seems very clear that she prefers to be by herself. Right. It's, it seems a little, like, tragic how they play it in the movie. It's just like, ugh, you know, thank God he leaves me alone sometimes. Mm. And then, lo, they get in the invited. I'm sorry. Yeah. Then they get invited to dine with Lady Catherine. Um, he has the speech about, you know, how Lady Catherine pref- prefers to have the distinction of class preserved. Yeah, don't distress yourself about your dress. He says that while they're walking over. Yeah, uh, and we get a look at the property. It's very nice, very big. Very symmetrical also. <laughs> very symmetrical. A big, like, gravel walk coming up to it. And then we meet Lady Catherine and very small lady. We don't see the dinner scene. We don't here. see the dinner scene, yeah. yeah. Series. Uh-huh. A very tiny lady. She, um, she, they definitely went for, like, uh, they have a definite spin on Lady Catherine, mm-hmm. and she's, like, frail, she's sickly, she wears this, like, lace habit, she's <laughs> very old. Yeah. I feel like she's not quite, she doesn't quite feel, doesn't have the same presence as in the book. Yeah. I almost think, like, the way she talks throughout this, um, this part of the scene is that, She's almost like senile. Mm. She's not quite. She's not quite like busybody, but she's very like old, like almost like borderline dementia or something. Just doesn't quite can't quite isn't quite like very um. What's the word? Like there's no clarity behind her eyes. I almost think. And maybe well, yes, which is the very different from how they interpret her in the movie, and also how Lady Catherine is in the book. Which mm-hmm. is a huge, she's a huge presence. She talks a lot. She talks about every subject under the sun, you know. <laughs> she is not, like, shy at all. She's definitely not, I don't know, maybe she's physically sickly, but that's not, like, how she behaves, you know. Yeah, maybe they're just trying to, like, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know what the decision-making behind casting this type of Lady Catherine is. Maybe it's just sort of, like, demonstrating the hypocrisy of... The aristocracy by having this teeny tiny lady be like this powerful figure. Uh huh. Or maybe it's supposed to be like cut undercutting like what Colin says, like, mm. oh, this is your idol. Like yeah. this kind of like sickly old lady, basically. Right, right. Uh-huh. Who needs like a little foot rest because her feet can't touch the ground or something like that. Um, yeah. And then we also see Anne, very sickly, even mm-hmm. more sickly than in the movie because everyone in the movie is gorgeous, including oh, we, Anne. <laughs> yes. Mrs. Jenkinson is here. And we also get that moment where they pull up in front of Huntsford in the carriage, but they don't get out. Yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. How we find out that Mr. Darcy has arrived is Mr. Collins, like running up to Charlotte and Elizabeth who are in the middle of their walk that Darcy has arrived and that they're... So they have to go visit Lady Catherine at Rosings immediately. This happens a little later, but he basically can't, like, contain his excitement. <laughs> He's, like, jerking around and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's... He's like, we have to go! Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's... And then, right. And so then, then we get the scene of, like, Elizabeth playing piano. No, I'm sorry. Okay. That happens earlier. That happens earlier. Before this scene. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. Okay. Right? Because Ye- Collins, I mean... Darcy and Fitzwilliam are there, right, right in mm-hmm. this scene where Lady Catherine and everyone's in the sitting room. That's right, yes. And then, um, what is it? And then, uh, yeah, so Fitzwilliam makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. He is very handsome. <laughs> yes. Not at all like in the book where he's mm-hmm. supposed to be not handsome. He's very handsome. It says he's not handsome in the book. Yeah, yeah. but actually in the movie he's very handsome and he is very charming talking to Elizabeth with Darcy looming in the background. As usual. Mm. I think this is supposed to set him up as like a potential rival to Darcy. Like, here's one of Darcy's relatives 
who was much more talkative and yeah. much more charming than Darcy. I mean, that's it. That's a read you can do in the book where I think they were emphasizing this here in the miniseries. It's like Darcy sees Elizabeth talking to another man and mm-hmm. that maybe like spurns him on a little bit. Yeah, right. Because right. then even when... um Another man of his own class, no less. I think Fitzwilliam's a little lower. Okay, he's a little lower, but it's like... His cousin. It's close he's enough. still like yeah. related to him, yeah. Right. And so then we get the scene with um Elizabeth playing the piano in like the other room next to the sitting room that they're all in. And then... um. And then, yeah, Fitzwilliam's sitting with her. It's very, it's very actually intimate because they're, like, in an off room separate from the rest of the, of the uh, party. That's another specific choice they make about this scene is to, like, put the piano in a different room mm-hmm. and to, like, have them separated. And, like, Lady Catherine's yelling to them from another <laughs> room. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Darcy, you know, sensing the competition, goes to the other room and where Elizabeth talks about how much of an ass that he was at uh, Hertfordshire. I like, I feel like there is, okay, so during this conversation, Darcy has the line about how, you know, it's hard for me to talk to people, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually really liked Colin Firth's uh, reading of that. I feel like that was one of the few moments where, like, you saw... Like the shy little boy, Darcy <laughs> coming through, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that. Like, well, I mean, you know, not to discredit him, but that—that's a line where, like, no matter how you spin it, it's gonna humble him. Yeah, it's gonna—he's revealing an insecurity. It's gonna humble him, and no matter how you say it, but he did say it very well. Yes, in uh, this scene. <laughs> no, it's a pivotal line because it's the first time Darcy's like, yeah, yeah, he reveals something that's, uh, you know, he's insecure about mm. or something about himself that, like. He's probably trying to hide with his outward demeanor, right? Right. Like, or, and it also explains his demeanor, whereas before we thought he was just, like, a jerk, basically, right? Mm-hmm. But it's here, like, yeah. We, yeah, we get the explanation, which softens him a little bit to our eyes. Yeah, and of course, Elizabeth tells him, you gotta practice. That's also a pivotal line in the, yeah. In the narrative. Yeah, take advice from your aunt and practice. And this is also the closest I think we get to the Lady Catherine of the book. She yells from out of the room, like, what are you talking about? I must be part of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, what's going on over there? Again, she doesn't stand up to go over to mm. nose in on whatever's happening, right? Yeah, that's another thing I'm waiting for is an adaptation where Lady Catherine stands up and goes to see what the commotion is at Elizabeth's piano. You know... I do, I like Judy Dench's take on, or the movie's take on Lady Catherine a little more. It's gotta be, she's gotta be an opposing mm-hmm. presence. And, like, I think of Lady Catherine as Mrs. Bennet with rank and money, right? <laughs> like, yeah. w- And so I feel like that's, I want Lady Catherine to be like that. A little, like, bigger, a little broader, a little more ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, yeah. I understand why, I get the, I get the reason why they chose the smaller meeker lady catherine but i don't know is it for is it you know does it make the series better i don't know i wouldn't say so sorry okay so then we cut to next scene huntsford elizabeth sitting alone and then who should come in Mr. Darcy. Well, he's got to go practice now. He's got to go practice talking. talking, uh, I do like... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should practice talking. (laughs) I do like the way this is the shot is set up. It's like they're sitting on either side of the room, on either side of the frame, and, you know, they're making small talk. He's... I, I, I gotta say, there's something kind of endearing about Matthew McFadden's, like, he is, like, you know, wringing his gloves, he is, like, looking every which way except at Elizabeth, he is standing, not sitting, he is, like, barely getting his words out. I feel like this Colin, let me, sorry, not this Colin, Colin Firth's 
Darcy, I don't know, a little too, a little too sure of himself here. He's just very stiff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, you know, maybe that, that surety is him, like, he, him, like, trying to, having a hard time escaping the mold that he's <laughs> forced himself into, which is Mr. Pride. But, yeah, uh, Mr. Pride. I think, yeah, it would be nicer to see more of the awkward, soft Darcy, which is in the book. You mm-hmm. know, it's there. Mm-hmm. But what have you. Anyway, so, but I do, I, I like the camera setup with them on either side. And there's just like this chasm between them that can't be filled with any kind of conversation, no matter how much they're trying. Uh, and Jennifer L. does a good job of selling, like, Elizabeth's confusion as to what 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 is he doing here? Yeah, right? like what's going on? Why did he come here just to make bad conversation? <laughs> right? Yeah, uh-huh. and she does the line about like, oh, you know, Lady Catherine couldn't have bestowed her generosity on a more gracious on a more great um gracious um, recipient. Oh, they also preserved the line. This is from before when uh, Mister Berg and Mrs. Jenkinson swing by on the carriage about I. Elizabeth's like, I thought the pigs got out for, <laughs> for such a commotion, right? That's just iconic. You got to have that line, no matter what you're adapt, no matter how you're adapting it. You got to keep the line about <laughs> Elizabeth mistaking um, Anderberg for pigs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so then um, we get the scene where um, where Elizabeth is walking with Jane's letter. Mm-hmm. She meets up with Colonel Fitzwilliam. Yep. And Colonel Fitzwilliam breaks the news that actually that like Mr. Darcy was responsible for breaking up Bingley and Jane. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. I guess this is the real, that is, if we were to look at uh, the characters as functions of the plot, that's what Fitzwilliam is here to do, to tell Elizabeth about this, right? Yeah. A, to sort of act as a rival for Darcy, mm-hmm. against Darcy, and... B to be the messenger, <laughs> the messenger of the the terrible news. Unbeknownst to him, he doesn't know who Bingley is, or that right, he has yeah. any connection to Elizabeth's family. Mm. So yeah, with this new information, Elizabeth, like in the book, says she has a headache and will not be going to visit Lady Catherine, which um which sparks Mr. Collins to talk about how much Lady Catherine um. Values punctuality. That's also new. It's an interesting addition. I feel yeah. like they do a better job in this miniseries of selling the ca- the character of Lady Catherine when she's off screen, mm-hmm. like with the shelves or like yeah. through Mr. Collins' attitude. And maybe this is what they were going for. It's just a little like you know, it's disappointing when she is on screen. Then yeah, even that like back I... and forth. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, like to your point, maybe it is sort of like trying to undercut everything Collins was saying. It's like, and then when you actually meet Lady Catherine, she actually is kind of a disappointing figure. You think she's going to be this giant, this giantess of a woman, but actually she's just like this ailing, sickly, like senile old lady who has nothing better to do than to like busy be a busybody and tell everyone around her how to fold their gowns and you know build shelves and things like that. Right. Yeah, I like, even, they retain that back and forth in the scene with, uh, in, like, Lady Catherine's sitting room, where she's quizzing, or, you know, the scene where she quizzes Elizabeth about, like, her family and why are all her sisters out. They they keep this in the miniseries during the sitting room mm. scene. It's just, like, it also feels a little flat. It just doesn't feel like it has the I same... Know playful banter i like it i think they do a better job of that with the movie and like conveying lady catherine yeah well there's no competing with judy dench <laughs> it's true 
Okay, and so um, last scene of the episode is this second proposal. She gets both proposals in one episode. Elizabeth. Mm, she doesn't Colin's proposal happen in Oh the yeah, you're last right, episode. right. Sorry, yeah, the tail so, end. So, two episodes, two proposals. Yeah, two uh, episodes both ending with this these terrible proposals. Um yeah, she um is surprised to find Mr. Darcy in this in this tiny tiny cottage. Yeah, it happens in Huntsford again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um and then what happens? He makes his feelings known mm-hmm. and how much he ardently admires and loves her mm-hmm. and yada, 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 yada. I, yes. I uh, think, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say just to preface it by like, we were both a little disappointed with the proposal, how it played out in the in this episode. So when we talked about the movie, you know, we went in depth on that proposal. I think that was another instance of what the 2005 movie did a lot where... Like, they just turned up, like, the cinema so much that it's, like, are we even watching, like, a scene of someone rejecting a proposal? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, what the hell is even going on? Uh, um, whereas this, they went in the opposite direction, which is a little closer to the book. You know, they kept it inside in this tiny parsonage in this, like, unadorned room. I feel like Jennifer L. did a good job when he first proposes of selling what is a very hard thing to show purely through visuals. This like emotional like roller coaster that Elizabeth goes through from being shocked at being proposed to by a man who she thought hated her basically to getting over that shock to realizing like that she's being insulted. <laughs> like I feel like she does that in a couple of like facial movements and that's very hard to convey. Yeah, yeah. You have to be a really you have to be really good with like facial control which is you know the task of an actor to be able to convey many emotions in the span of like minutes which was just like you know the the downturn of an eyebrow to indicate oh shit like i'm being mocked i'm being i'm being you know made fun of right now turn from surprised to offended Mm -hmm. i think what like fell flat for me is like this the argument that follows the rejection of the proposal is supposed to be like a boiling over of all the emotions that Darcy and Elizabeth have been feeling like just below the surface through this whole like narrative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like this is a tipping point and like everything's coming out, especially for Elizabeth who has like a lot of beef with Darcy <laughs> to begin with. Right. And and then and Darcy on his own side should be feeling like anger too, like here I am, you know, lowering myself, which degrading myself before this woman like leagues below me with this terrible family she has the nerve tree summarily reject me right yeah like Like, there should be something right like that's the thing that was just kind of missing from both ends is just like it's like both should both for different reasons should be like furious at the other person mm -hmm. and i just didn't get that in their in their like in their face facial expressions at all like yeah like this is a boiling over of elizabeth like in regards to Wickham and Jane and just his uh, Darcy's like overall like pride and ego and his like you know holier than thou attitude towards everyone and this is supposed to be like like Darcy's supposed to be completely shocked Mm -hmm. that Elizabeth would say no this is truly the first time I think anyone has ever said no to Darcy like he came in a hundred percent thinking she was going to say yes and um, when she does say no, or when she doesn't say yes immediately, 
he kind of like what does he do he like walks over to the mantle or something and which he, he does like, do in the book yeah, yeah but you just don't feel like the intensity like right. i want to see like a giant like vein popping out of his forehead <laughs> or something like he's about right. to exp- like he has now after just giving like such an insulting uh proposal has been grievously insulted that's yeah. how he should feel right uh-huh. and the way he the way it's presented it's almost like it's almost like it's almost like he was like he kind of knew it was coming that elizabeth was going to say no it, it, unfortunately which which is completely untrue in the book he is a hundred percent surprised but in the in the in this episode, he kind of plays it like he's like, "Oh, I had a, I had a feeling this was gonna happen," which is completely inaccurate to um, Darcy's character. He doesn't say that, but you're just saying like you get that from his demeanor. Yeah, kind of. yeah, that's yeah. that's the demeanor I get. Him like holding, like he he has his like, he's like holding his forehead in his hands, like he's like, "Ugh, I knew this was gonna happen," or something like that. Or he's like, "I was afraid this," was... like that's the kind of me demeanor I got from his his body language, not like. Not surprise and insult. Yeah. Similarly, I just kind of felt more annoyance from him <laughs> than, like, I've just been grievously insulted. Right. And then on the flip side, you know, I haven't really thought about this until now, but what this unexpected proposal gives Elizabeth is an opportunity to vent all these feelings she, like, all the hatred she has for Darcy <laughs> that she thought she'd never be able to say out loud, right? Yeah. It's like, all of a sudden, you've given me the opportunity to, like, call you out about about Jane, yeah. which I am still like furious about. I just found this out and I can't get over. And then a lar- and then also about Wickham, which mm-hmm. I've been carrying around for a little bit. Right. Yeah, because he is the one who opens that door for her. He uh-huh. is like, and like, can I ask why I like with so little decorum I am thus like rejected? So little, such little attempt at civility. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. Says, yeah, right. A little uh, attempt at civility. And yeah, like, and she makes a good point. She's like, you know. If I was uncivil for no reason, then, then then that's then that's you know you have a right to ask that. But you have been uncivil, and mm-hmm. so that makes it okay for me to be uncivil right now. Yeah, you you haven't behaved like a gentleman, which is something mm. that Darcy he talks about in the last chapters of the book. He's mm. like that really stuck with me, you know. Yeah, that really like made me want to change. <laughs> You told you said I didn't behave like a gentleman, and that's the first time anyone has ever said that to me in my life. You know, because that's probably true. Yeah, Darcy yeah. Darcy believed that he was a gentleman from birth. Exactly. Yeah, he has to learn that like it, being a gentleman entails more than just being born a gentleman. Yeah. So I just didn't feel yeah like this was, the intensity. This was supposed. This is supposed to be like a life changing moment for the both of them, and. I kind of feel like, you know, when he leaves and she's there in a huff, I don't know. Neither of them are exactly, like, all that different from when they first arrived. I mean, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Like, I guess the forthcoming letter will change things around. But, like, this should be, like, a cornerstone of their characters to have both of their faults called out. Um, But, I don't know. And then I think maybe this is, like, a larger problem with the miniseries which you know i i don't know they do a lot right but like maybe one of the traps of being like we have to be a faithful adaptation we're going to give you know we're going to hit all the notes of the book right Mm -hmm. is that it like starts to feel a little route sometimes Mm -hmm. right like they're just like kind of going it almost feels like in some cases and especially i kind of felt this from the proposal like going through the motions of reenacting the book yeah rather than blowing up like like giving you the emotional experience that you feel in the book you know right (sighs) yeah like 
Right. Like there, there comes a point where you have to make, who am I to say, but like for and for me, at least if you're adapting a book, there has to be points where you have to make decisions about which, um, which scenes are going to, for, you know, for, for lack of a better word, be more important than other scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a scene where they, they, it is a hundred percent one of the most important scenes and needed more, more like more thought being put uh, i hate to say that because i don't know what they were thinking making it but like to be to have more investment into this scene to like really really think about like how to best present this scene how to best adapt this scene from from the page to uh the screen i feel like you're you're watching people feel things rather than feeling along yeah with them. I don't even I don't even think I'm watching people feel things. I think mm. it's like to your point, I'm just watching them read dialogue with like maybe more at a higher volume, but like I don't know, so, like some of the pauses I felt were awkward and it, it might be part of the editing too. I felt oh. like the whole scene felt a little rushed. Mm. I feel like, you know, unfortunately, like in the book, it has this, like, shabby setting, but then it uses it to its advantage. It's like, this crazy thing is happening in this, like, very modest room in this parsonage, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where I feel like in this miniseries, in this adaptation, that, like, they let it pull them down a little bit. Yeah, right. Like, it is supposed to be, like, you're... This, co- this, this conversation between the two of them should be, like, setting this house on fire you know Mm. but instead it's just like you said like it's almost like they're being confined by the constraints of these four walls and that they can't let it out like that just from the book i have this like image in my head of darcy leaned up against the mantle like looking at the fire like pissed off yeah right Uh right it would have been great to see like yeah like a a great shot would have been like seeing Colin Firth's face aglow from the fire or something, like, seeing the, the the rage burning in his eyes or something. But instead, we just get, like, a long, awkward pause of the back of his head <laughs> leaning, as we see him leaning against the mantle. I mean, there, like, we've already, you've jumped into Darcy's POV. That would have been a moment to do it. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you disagree with us, feel free to write. This is... Oh, God. I feel like so many Colin Firth stands are going like, <laughs> to call for our heads uh... <laughs> on a platter. I like a lot of what he does with the character. I don't think it's entirely the fault of the performers. And I think they even do a lot of things right in this scene. Mm. I think something about the staging and the editing feels a little weird and rushed, kind of. Yeah, I guess... Yeah, it, to me, it, it kind of just... I wanted it to be, like, a completely, you know, I think, honestly, even the first time I watched this series, like, a long, long time ago, I even was sort of like, that's it? Like, I was like, like, where's the, where's the, like, there's no, like, dynamism at all in this, in this scene. There should be, like, you know, yeah, there should be, this is now the perfect opportunity for chemistry to boil over, but maybe, again, it just has to do with, I don't know, the chemistry it's uh, maybe a little off. Yeah, and they also just don't give Elizabeth, like, the chance to vent her anger. Yeah. In a way that I feel like she, like, that character's been waiting for, and this moment gives her mm. the opportunity to. Yeah. They also short-sell her, her speech, because I think the speech, the iconic rejection is that um, all of these faults of Darcy makes, she's like, makes me realize that you're the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon to marry. Mm-hmm. And they shorten it to, like, I, you're the last person I could ever mary which i think is just it's a little different i know it's a it's a it's a 
it's a it's a nitpicky point to harp on but like there's a difference between her saying that she's the last person to marry that she would ever marry versus like be prevailed upon like almost mm-hmm. have to, like she would almost be like forced upon to marry right no it's much stronger <sighs> in in the book version yeah uh, but so it is <laughs> <laughs> sorry to end on such a dour note but yeah i mean that's just how we feel mm-hmm. you are free more than free to have your own yeah uh, opinions about the scene yeah i would please let me know prove me wrong let us know I, why we're wrong yeah <laughs> i really want to like this scene but it kind of just yeah it kind of just felt like it checked a box at most and it was like all right on to the next one <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I get that. It it did feel like, like, this is the midway point of the book and of the series. This is the end of episode three. There's three more episodes left. It just didn't feel like the explosion of action that it needed to be. Mm. Yeah, Or, like, is... the emotion, the cathartic emotional experience. Right. Uh-huh. This is the confrontation we've been waiting for. This is the smackdown of the century. And instead we get, like, I don't know, people just going through the motions, like you, like you said. Okay, well, right. so concludes <laughs> the first three episodes of the miniseries. Yeah, we will be posting the last three episodes of the miniseries in... Two more weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks, yes, all right. so come find us then. But uh-huh. in the meantime, um, if you have words with us, <laughs> if you want to tell us why we're wrong, uh-huh. or if you agree with us... or why Everything Colin Firth does is the perfect... <laughs> enca- encapsulates Darcy in the perfect way. Uh-huh. Yeah, then you can email us at secondimpressionspod at gmail.com. And so until episodes four, five, and six, I'm Grace. And I'm Tom. Bye. <laughs>